Welcome to Teacher Quit Talk. I'm Miss Redacted. And I'm Mrs. Frazzled. Every week we explore the teacher exodus to find out what, if anything, could get these educators back in the classroom. We've all had our moments where we thought, what the hell am I doing here? From burnout to bureaucracy to soul-sucking stressors and creative dead ends. From recognizing when it was time to go to navigating feelings of guilt and regret afterwards, we're here to cut out the gaslighting and get real about what it means to leave teaching. We've got insights from former teachers from all over the country who have seen it all. So get ready to be disturbed. Join us on Teacher Quit talk to laugh through the pain of the U.S. education system. We'll see you there. Hi, I'm Frances Callier. And I'm Angela V. Shelton. And we're Frangela. You know what you need in your life? Hmm. The Final Word Podcast. Yes, you do. That's right. It is the final word on all things political and pop cultural. Where we make real news real funny. Where we inspire you so you can hashtag resist. Subscribe and get a new episode of the Final Word Podcast each week. It's the news we think you need to hear. That's right. We think you need to hear it. Okay? Yeah, it's what we say so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give. Дамы и господа, добро пожаловать в Prevail. Это второй сезон нашей борьбы с криминальными сволочами. Ваш ведущий Грег Олян. I'm Greg Oliar. This is Prevail. Welcome to the program. It's New Year's Eve. We're bidding adieu to Anno Domini 2021, which was, um, you know, I think I'm not going out on a limb here, kind of a bad year. Not a great year in the annals of uh, recent history or American history writ large. Um, started out with an insurrection and just, you know, kept on coming. Our insurrection to Omicron 2021. Oh, yes. So I wanted to end this year and wave it goodbye with people that I really like a lot. So here's who's on the show today. I brought out the big guns for this show. I'm not going to lie. From the World Beneath podcast, my friend Lincoln's Bible, LB, her former partner at SitJourno, which was way before I was doing anything like this. These guys, these two were investigating Trump and the mob stuff and all of it. You've heard her on this podcast several times before. Lou knew. Then she brought you America Reads the Mueller Report. She has her own podcast called Politics with Sherry Jacobus. Sherry Jacobus from the Start Me Up podcast, which I've been on a bunch of times, but I've never had her on my podcast before. Kimberly Johnson is here. And finally, Tom J. Chicago, Tom Joseph, in the house on this Prevail podcast, last podcast of calendar year 2021. I want to say one thing about New Year's Eve. I've never been a big new year's eve guy you know i just it, it, it's always a disappointment you know you you make yourself stay up till midnight and i don't know it's supposed to be fun because we've been told in movies and things that oh new year's eve is fun man we're gonna get drunk and, we're gonna, and it's, it's just always you know it's kind of whatever right even before i started going to bed like at 9 30 i didn't really like to stay up to midnight just to watch this ball drop i don't know it seemed, seemed weird i do like the song old lang Syne, for sure great song so it is kind of nice to stay up and listen to that song, sing that song. 
But apart from that, eh, I, I, I don't know. I really, I could take it or leave it. Um, you know, as you are listening to this, it is New Year's Eve. Uh, we recorded it on the 27th of December, which is when I am talking to you right now. And on December 30th, I'm getting my booster. So I think probably I'm going to spend New Year's Eve um, in bed and probably not feeling so great. So, which is fine because then I, there's nothing to do anyway. Nobody's having any parties <laughs> this year. You know, not with the Omicron. Uh, it's just not worth it, especially on New Year's Eve. It's a perfect excuse not to go out. And this is my main complaint about New Year's Eve, okay? April Fool's Day, so-called because time was, the beginning of the year was celebrated on April 1st or around the vernal equinox, you know, in the spring when stuff started to grow and bloom and blossom and that kind of thing. At some point, and for reasons that have never been properly explained to me, somebody decided, you know, instead of doing it in the spring when it's like warmer outside and people are like eager to go out, let's do it on some fucking cold day, you know, like right after the winter solstice, you know, so it's really cold outside and it's dark and just kind of yuck. That would be fun, right? Uh, whose idea was this? You know, I mean, who, who thinks of these things? Because I think we should veto this idea. I would like New Year to go back to being April 1st. I think it's, be- it's better that way. It just was, you know. Um, again, I don't know who was responsible. I don't care to know who was responsible. I'm just going to say, if you're going to have a bunch of people gathered in Manhattan, in midtown Manhattan, to watch a ball drop, it would be better if that happened on March 31st than December 31st. Because, uh, duh, right? Um, it's too cold out, man. I lived in New Jersey, grew up in New Jersey. I lived in New York City for years. I have never once been to Times Square when the ball dropped. That seemed to be madness. Nowhere to go to the bathroom. Um, I'm very sensitive to stuff like that. Like, I look around like, where am I going to pee? I'm not going there. I mean, what if I have to pee? I'm supposed to be drinking, right? How can I, I'm going to drink and then stand out in, the, out in the freezing cold with a bunch of strangers and not pee? It's just very strange, these customs that we have. Very, very strange. So, uh, I'm starting a new custom. I'm starting a custom of my own, which is to celebrate New Year's Eve on uh, December 27th in mid-afternoon with my friends who I invited on this podcast and record it and have fun doing that. And then I'm going to edit it and break it down and share it with you, my listeners. Thank you so much for joining me in this, the first year of the Prevail podcast being available. I appreciate your support. So I want to say thank you. I want to say to everybody listening, I hope, I really hope that 2022, that next year is better for you than 2021 was. I hope that for everybody. I wish it for everybody. I wish you all a happy new year. And we'll be right back with LB, Lou New, Sherry Jacobs, Kimberly Johnson, Tom Joseph, star-studded lineup, right after this. And now, a MAGA Christmas Carol. Let's go, Brandon, fuck Joe Biden. It's the Christmas thing to do. He wants me not to die. Well, screw that guy. I'll keep listening to Q. Let's go, Brandon. Fuck Joe Biden. And fuck Dr. Fauci, too. He's such a jerk. His vaccines don't work when you're in the ICU. Ho, ho, the mistletoe. But these days you have to ask. Before you kiss a girl and take off her stupid mask Let's go Brandon, 
fuck Joe Biden And in case you didn't hear Fuck Joe Biden and his vaccine I'll be dead by next year And now, back to the show. LB, Lou New, welcome back to the Prevail Podcast. Thanks, Greg Oliar. Hello. <laughs> you guys are the first two people that I recorded interviews on for the podcast. So it's, you know, obvious the choice to have you back for the special New Year's Eve edition of uh, the show. Because even though it is actually right now December 27th and it's the morning, this is the New Year's Eve show. So we can pretend that it's actually December 31st, if that's okay. We have to create the illusion. Yeah, we yes. have to create the illusion, which I don't know what's going to happen to me now in the next four days. Somebody could get like indicted and this whole this whole show could be stupid. But, you know, it's a, it's a risk we have to take. <laughs> Risking stupidity. I think it's important to give some context to our listeners since they can't see us to know that some of us are in our closets right now. And by some, you mean everybody but me. Yes. <laughs> so we're surrounded by mops and clothes and other you know, flotsam and jetsam. Um, which and paintings. Has... Wait, you have you guys each have paintings hanging in your closets. We do which, have paintings, uh, yes. Yeah. Um, and not just as like storage. They're like, they're hanging in closets just to be seen while you're in the closet, I guess. I don't know. I've never seen this before. I don't have a big closet. I don't really have a closet. My clothes are just in a, in a, in a laundry basket piled on the side of the thing, just out of the camera view. <laughs> Uh, well, I also have antique lamps in here, so <laughs> it's our closet. <laughs> we're girls. Yep. We have to see our nice things while we're in here trying to, I don't know. I haven't worn anything but sweatpants for a year and a half, so I, I got to get it going here. I think the sweatpants are the way that it's going to be from now on. I, if Like people in our generation, which is to say Generation X, I guess. I, I don't know. I don't know, Lou, if you're Jet. You might be younger than that. But I'm like, a geriatric millennial. I'm you're, sorry. You're a geriatric millennial. I think it's the same for you, though. You wear jeans, right? Because we wore jeans because the grownups when we were kids didn't wear jeans because jeans were considered like too informal. And now my kids won't even wear jeans because jeans are considered too formal. So they're these sweatpants, what I would call sweatpants, they're, they call them joggers or whatever else. So like, what are the, what are the next generation? Are they just going to wear pajamas and that's it? Are we just going to like a fig leaf? I don't know. I don't know where this is going. They're, they're already in the pajamas. I was, yeah. I was like, like when I was back when we could actually shop in stores without fear of some wretched variant getting us even behind our masks i was i remember shopping and the, the high school nearby had let out and they were all in pajama pants i was like oh yeah okay there it's just it's we're there just pajama wear. day is every day i remember we had pajama day when i was in middle school where you would wear your pajamas to school and now it's just every day is pajama day yeah I guess it has to do with comfort and, and I, I don't know, I just, isn't that scene in Idiocracy? They just sit around wearing sweatpants in that great big chair that just does everything for you. And I feel like we're, we're approaching that. We're approaching that level. Sometimes it's nice to dress up a little bit, you know, to put on, for example, a belt. I don't know. Th these are things that these kids don't, I don't think either of my kids even know how to put on a belt. They would look at it like, what is this thing? <laughs> is this a strap for a guitar? Like what, I don't know what this means, you know? <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, denim is very restrictive, don't you know? It, well, they make it stretchy now. They have they have like stretched out, you know, stretched out denim. Um, anyway, okay, enough about fashion. I know that's what we're known for. <laughs> but, <laughs> but perhaps we should move on. Um, did you guys have nice holidays? Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, so uh, yeah. I'll, I'll just say, you know, our, we canceled our Christmas plans. We were supposed to go to our friend's apartment. Um, and because Omicron is absolutely raging in the city, we decided that even if we were all vaxxed and boosted, even if we tested day of, it just was not worth the risk. And I think we made the right decision. Um, not that our friends tested positive, nor have we, but I have heard of so many freaking people who have been testing positive in the last 10 days. So... Uh, sucks but that's new york city at the moment yeah the numbers are way high up here too we're we're, we're in upstate or, or mid you know mid hudson valley not not technically upstate but it's still the numbers are very high and um it's amazing how it isn't really amazing how fast it spreads because then you think that's what the word viral comes from you know because it spreads like a, a freaking virus so um how about you lb how was your holiday it was nice it was you know it, it was rough yeah, yeah um but it's it, it there was so many lovely moments and i think i was sharing this with you greg uh earlier that it, it in terms of christmas it's because we're a blended family so uh you know my husband's jewish he he it, i think they had christmas trees but it's not a holiday for him that has um sentimental meaning in terms of upbringing and so that's been new since we've been together but we've been together like half his life now half my life so uh because we're older so it's um it, you know it's nice but it's all still generated from me from my efforts and which is fine but I, there will be a day i'm hoping when our daughter's old enough where she's like, I'm not going to be home for Christmas this year. And that is when I'm not doing one damn thing. I am not hanging an <laughs> ornament. I'm not going to the store and buying, you know, food. I, I'm not, I'm not cooking. I'm not cleaning. I think I'll just go on vacation. And, and for some reason we don't do that. Oh, no, I know why we, we, we don't do that because of this damn thing. Um, it feels like that's never going to happen again, where you just take off for the holidays and go somewhere non-holiday-ish and like a beach. And I don't know. These are my ramblings, you guys. I'm very, this is early in the morning. It's not just that it's just two days after Christmas. It's early in the morning for me. Uh, you know, I, I'm out here on the West Coast and you guys are a little bit more awake and moving around. So I'm oh, you've been up, yeah, you've been up for hours though. I mean, come on. Yeah, you've been definitely you've been up longer than me. <laughs> my husband is my husband is still sleeping, which is why I'm recording this in my closet. <laughs> I know my whole family's still asleep. I, this is, you know, I, we're this is where I am. This we're is gonna... this is the dedication that you feel towards this podcast. I'm just, yes. I, you know, the, the <laughs> listeners are very grateful to you for 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 uh, walling yourself off in the closet there. So I yeah. woke up before noon for you, Greg. <laughs> Not for me. For the listeners, you know. for the listeners, yeah, yes, you two have listeners. two of the two of the top five most popular podcasts uh, ever recorded on this show. In, it's in still it's still kind of amazes me that people actually want to listen to me. 
But you're smart. You know stuff. <laughs> what I have you know? to say. You're talking about interesting things. So, yeah. Well, and no, just, I think we've said this before. I don't know where we said this before, Lou, but, you know, Lou and I have known each other for years, a little bit longer than, than you and I, Greg. And we came together putting the pieces, like you, putting the pieces together around Donald and organized crime and, and his, his ties to the Kremlin uh, and everything that we, you know, could research to do. And, and of course, Lewis, way, way faster uh, at those associates, connecting all that than, than me, but it was a wonderful collaboration. And um, I find myself, I know it's shocking to you, Lou, it, it, legitimately so, I believe you when you say that, but you know, when Greg said, oh, I'll have you, you guys will come for a New Year's Eve special, we'll put you together, you know, because it's a good, such good friends. I just wanted to hear what you have to say. So I'm actually <laughs> not doing this for the audience, as wonderful as everyone is. And I'm not doing this for my buddy, Greg. You know, I really want to hear, be in this conversation to hear what you have to say uh, about I, I think what, what we were talking about yesterday, yesterday, Greg, in terms of what are we going to talk about today? And a lot of this, here we are, the three of us, right? And we were the canaries. <laughs> we were the canaries on everything. I you, guys, uh, you, you guys were, were canaries long before. I, I, I don't even, I'm not a canary. You guys were the canaries. I'm just you know, I was relatively late to the game, I think, and uh, which is fine. So I want to give credit where it's due. I mean, you guys were doing SitJourno long before I knew anything. Um, yeah. So, yes, you are the canaries. Absolutely. Yeah. And so it's sort of thinking about what happened. And it wasn't anything extraordinary about us. We just did the work. It really was just time and effort. Um, it wasn't anything it wasn't so special. It was a nice combination of, of minds because it wasn't just us either. But it, it, did, it did give us a looking glass and allowed us to sort of say, okay, here's what's coming. And one of the things that we had a, a real struggle, or at least I did, Lou, and I want to hear what you have to say about this because you did a lot of work on the lack of coverage by the fourth estate um, on all of what we were finding in their own archives. Yes, yep. And so that was just, it just kept hitting us in waves yeah. at the time. Back in 2017, we would have these conversations, we find all this and then it would literally dawn on us and it was hard to wrap our minds around because it kept dawning on us and dawning on us and dawning us like, they know this, the stuff we're putting together is known by all of these folks, especially in New York uh, uh, journalism. And if anybody over the age of 40, which a lot of are, or maybe yeah. even 35, they all know who that he is drenched in organized crime. Yeah. This person that you know became president. And they all know how how long and how deep he has been associated with specifically Russian organized crime. Um, and what happened in their own damn city with this man. Yeah. And why, what is going on with the framing? 
And so there was, there were times where it just felt insane. It felt like, <laughs> and then, and then it became, you know, the next question, which no one's getting to yet. There, finally, here we are five years later and you have the press being reflective for the first time of, you know, what is our role in this, you know, in this framing and how we're talking about things and how we're advancing um, the information and how we're interviewing people and who we choose to interview that we're, you know, and that it's not being talked about what we're up against as a nation. Uh, the both sides are actually democratic, small d, and anti-democratic, that we actually are up against fascism. And it's time to start calling it out for what it is. So that's finally happening. We were raging about that years ago, all three of us saying, you gotta start calling this shit what it is. And they weren't, and it's all part of the same piece. So I was thinking, Greg, when you asked, and I wanna hear, this will be the end of my little thing. I wanna hear what Lou has to say. When you asked you know, us, what was the biggest uncovered story? This was what this podcast was supposed to be about today of, you know, of 2021 looking back on it. And I immediately said, well, January 6th. <laughs> and yeah. but more specifically, the part that we're not talking about that as a headline every single time, that that should be a headline that's above the fold on a print. That's the lead of any uh, uh, news broadcast. That's the lead of any, uh, from out of any media host's mouth that's just doing panel discussions, that, it, that it's not pervasive everywhere. That actually is the story. The refusal to really, truly call this out second by second for what it is. And all I can say from the position of a canary um, in terms of that that's finally happening now. It's finally, there's a self-reflection happening now. What is our role in this as news media of the place that we find ourselves in as a nation? What I can say to everyone listening is there's another question and it's one that Lou and I have struggled with in 2017. It comes next. Uh, once you realize the truth that there is a refusal to appropriately cover both the former president, who he is, where he came from, but this moment that we're in now where he took us, where we knew he would take us and where he has taken us. After you wrap your minds around the fact that our, our fourth estate failed us, the next question is why? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Fourth estate meaning media too. And it's not just all media. It's not just all members of the media. The reporters on the ground, the investigative journalists have by and large done really great work throughout this period of time. Like most of what I know and what, what, what I put in my book uh, in 2018 came from press reports, it came from the Washington Post. It came from even the, the NIET, as I call it, the New York Times and okay. Wall Street. All of these papers have done and contributed something really meaningful to all of this uh, knowledge of Trump. And yet it's not the people on the ground. It's the editors and it's the publishers. It's the people that make the decisions that sit in the newsroom and say, yes, that's going to run on page one. No, we're going to bury that on pay uh, in section C. Uh, well, you know, on the part where people don't read that, you know, what you were saying about 
yes, this should be a front page news banner headline and stuff. Yes, it absolutely should. And someone is deciding not to do it that way. And it ain't the reporters on the ground, I think. It's it's two things, actually. It's it's not just the editorial staff and who's running, making the business decisions and all of that. It's one thing that we're not talking about right now is the importance that algorithms play in how news is covered. And so, you know, the, the fact that most of our media outlets are for profit means that they rely on ad revenue, right? And since the shift from print to digital has happened, you know, over the last 10 years, ad revenue means clicks and clicks are driven by algorithms. And so the, the part of the problem is the importance that things like Google, Facebook, Twitter, et cetera, play in the monetization of news. So that's one thing is that we're not, it's not just like, you know, hey, the editor of, or whatever, the, you know, front page editor of the New York Times made this decision to put this thing on the front page. It's also like, hey, this algorithm on Facebook decided to put this link in front of this many people's faces and this many people clicked on it and got shown those ads. And therefore the news organization is seeing what those clicks are and what's getting the ad revenue. And that also, you know, drives there, it's a profit motive. So there's, so that's one thing, right? Is that it's not just who are the people who are making these decisions and yes, people make human error. It's so therefore, of course there will be fuck ups because humans are human. It's also that there's this huge component of algorithms and AI that are determining what the profit centers will be for these news outlets. And so that is, that's part of it. And then the other issue too, is I think it's a uniquely American problem, which is that we don't care about historicity. You know, if you're like in Europe and things are happening, there seems to always be a lot more historical context, just because given the age of the countries and the, all of the, um, you know, the weight that goes along with like, if something's happening in parliament in the U in England, there's, there's centuries of history that go along with that. And I think that their news reporters are more aware. It's not just the news reporters, it's the, the news consuming consumption. The news consuming public is also more grounded in the history of what is happening. In America, since we're still such a relatively new country compared to those other countries, and America, you know, classic Americanism is like, what's the newest, best, greatest thing? It's all about what's new. And people don't, we don't necessarily ground ourselves in history the way that we should. So when all this shit was going down, yes, we have amazing investigative reporters, we have amazing, you know, resources, people that we can rely on who can dig through all this stuff, but we don't have anyone who's really the keeper of institutional memory. Like LB and I found all this shit in the fucking archives of the New York Times, but nobody at the New York Times, at least as far as I can tell, is the one who's like, I am the keeper of all of this information. You know, I can put together all of these articles and, and co explain this in a historical context. In the US, we don't seem to care about historical context in the way that we need to, because the only way to understand what's going on right now is to understand the history of how we got to where we are. And 
people don't seem to give a fuck about that. So I think it's, I think it's two things that are really important that we are not talking about. Um, the algos and the impact of social media on what news is covered based on what is profitable, which is why we should all be supporting nonprofit news organizations. And then also our lack of, our lack of historicity when, when, when looking at, at stories. And part of that is a cultural phenomenon of people not giving a fuck about history. I think those are excellent points. It's a, with the historicity business, it's also sort of how newspapers and the news media is set up, which is, it's, this has been my you know, point of contention for, for the whole time I've been doing this is that there's no context. There's never any context in these stories. There's something, all of a sudden Paul Manafort is on, something happens with Paul Manafort. There'll be a story about Paul Manafort. It's hard to keep track of who he is if you're a normal person who's not reading this all the time and he's only in the paper once every you know two years in, in some way there needs to be this this context that that ties everything together and, and this is an old problem i remember being in high school trying to figure out what iran contra was about and, and there's there wasn't anything to read that put it all together in a simplified sort of hey this is the context of this operation it was all here's a story about this here's a story about that and all those stories are great but there needs to be more Let's um, let's tie it all together. Here's how all of the points connect and, and show you the context. Our press is all, and I think press in general has always been bad about that, but, um, and my God, Americans in history, like mostly what we want to do is deny it. I mean, because it's, there's so much bad shit there, you know? Of course. Be between the genocide of the uh, <laughs> forced migrations and genocide of the people who lived in America originally, and then the whole, not only slavery, but the post-Civil War uh, period and, and, and the Jim Crow and all that stuff, um, well into the into the 20th century. I mean, somebody said it, I mean, it was Heather Cox Richardson, that we've really only lived in a true liberal democracy since the, you know, the 50s, early 60s, when they passed the, the, the voting rights laws. Before, I mean, women couldn't vote until 1920, you know, which is it's insane to think about that, but it's it's crazy. And we're never going to go back. And, 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 and God knows the Republicans don't want us to because, you know, critical race theory or whatever is, is their, their um, uh, dog whistle word for let's learn about anything bad that white people did historically and let's keep it on the QT. We don't want the kids to find out, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole thing, right? The whole fight about critical race theory is we don't want to examine our history in a true and real fashion and admit that things were not that great. Like that's ultimately, it's it's a very American problem to not want to look at history and how we got where we are. It's everyone, it's, it's like the classic story, right? Rags to riches, you can reinvent yourself from anything. Well, America wants to constantly be reinventing itself, not looking at itself as a um, evolving nation. And that is, I think, part of the problem. Um, I just wonder, yeah. you know, I remember when, I was I was in school and and taking a lot of history. I I think it was a professor that said this to me. Uh, you know, in the context of world history, that America was basically a teenager. You know, mm -hmm. if you look at the emotional age, if you assigned an age, I don't I don't think we're a teenager anymore. I think we're we're very much an adult that is just immature. And I, I would 
I encourage, I think there are a lot of Americans who long for everything that we're talking about. It's just not being offered. And part of maturity is then to realize what's missing, provide it. <laughs> you know, if you're, if you're noticing something that's not working in your life or there's something missing, it's time to stop sitting around and um, whining about it and expecting a parent to deliver it for you. You know, it's time that we fully engage. And I do think that there are vast, like vast numbers more Americans that would be willing to do that than to sit and spin either in their grievance or their apathy, uh, which are the two forces that we're really fighting. If you look at it emotionally and spiritually, we're fighting the violence that comes out of grievance, um, which is all of, and the artlessness that starts mm. all of that to begin with, um, which is Trumpism and are now known as that and, and apathy. Um, folks that just, as you said, they, they don't give a fuck, right? So we've touched on those two things. I still think you put those two together and there are more, uh, more Americans willing to be engaged and to want to fight for not in a violent manner, but in, in the ways that actually work in democratic ways to keep our democracy. It's more an absence of real leadership there. Um, it's because people don't know what to do. I think that's what I've gotten the most out of the Twitter feed. It's not that people can't grasp what I put in front of them, what, what any of us have put in front of them in terms of, okay, here, look, here's, you know, here's a hundred years of organized crime even going into that for folks and where that has served intelligence services, both our own and foreign um, and how they've been, the, the power of those agencies uh, and their tool sets and their wealth to come in and infect any other nation and uh, at the level of basic society without people even knowing that's what's going on. We even can overcome that, <laughs> but not without leadership, not without leading voices. It doesn't have to be elected leaders, it just has to be voices. Look, if we lost Tutu yesterday, right? Yeah. It was a friend of my father's. And so that was a rough day in our house, um, along with everything else. And that was a voice. And it came from an unexpected place. Um, or maybe the most expected place, if you really know the teachings of Christ. So I, I think I think that's what we... We, we, what we can do, because that's the question we all get asked, well, what can we do? If people understand, it's like, what should we do? What should we do? They just, the immediate response is one of action and a need to act and a willingness to act and a desire to act, but a, a cluelessness in terms of what direction or what the action is to take. And so I would say in this time, because we don't have our fourth estate, behaving anything other than a, as teenagers themselves, um, you know, in terms of corporate, a, a corporate, a corporate capture of our fourth estate, it's up to us to sort of say, you know, influencers to say, do this, listen over here, read this, 
Um, I do think that's our job. That's the job of every artist, certainly, is to create art on top of all that and every influencer to amplify what needs to be amplified. There's plenty to do. There is. We just have to do it. I think part of it too is there was not, I don't think we expected everything to immediately get better when Biden was was in, you know, because these things take time. The damage that Trump did is just probably incalculable. And, uh, yeah. you know, the president can only do so much. He's the people that he picks to run various departments or alas, very powerful and important. Um, but now it's like, God, it's been so long. It's already been, it's over a year since the election. We're heading, you know, we're getting to the point where we're uh, a year past the insurrection and we're waiting for something to happen. Because it's funny when you say that, uh, uh, LB, about leadership, I think Biden is almost like perfectly suited for this moment in history, just by temperament. Like he yeah. is, if, if the media were reporting things accurately, everyone should really like him. There's not much not to like about him on a personal level. He's clearly an honorable guy. And what, like, how much more do these people want? It's like the scene yes, in Life so, of Brian. So, you know, like, yes. What has Joe Biden ever done for us? Yeah. I mean, actually, you asked, like, so the kind of talking spark that you gave us was what is the most underreported story of the year? And I mm -hmm. chose the freaking infrastructure bill that he got done 69 to 30 in the Senate, which yeah. got maybe a week of coverage. But Fucking Donald Trump tried to do infrastructure every week of his entire presidency, and it never happened, even when they had the majority of the House in the Senate. And Biden got it done 69 to 30 in the Senate. Um, and that, to me, is the biggest story after January 6th of the year. And it's the most underreported story, in my opinion. Absolutely. Yes. Do we want to do the Build Back Better Bill? Yes. Do we want to protect voting rights? Yes. All that shit? Yeah. But... They got the fucking infrastructure bill done and Mitch McConnell and a whole bunch of shitty Republican senators were on board with it. And that is a big fucking story that didn't get enough coverage. It yeah. is. And so I come back to the question because algorithms don't answer that question, my question on this story. And neither does a lack of you know, historical context. Why? Why wasn't it covered? I think because I think it's two things. I think societally, we are now conditioned to just expecting bad news all the damn time, right? Because we mm -hmm. lived in a four year, like four year long inferno of shit-tastic <laughs> news. And our, our, our adrenaline receptors got used to just hearing bad news all the damn time. And I think also the media got used to just being bad stories all the time and covering negativity. And so they are still in that mode. So I, I think it's that. I also think our political leaders are not doing a great job of touting their successes. Mm. So I think it's multiple things. But the fact that, I mean, I, it drives me bonkers that people are listening to the loudest voices, not the most informed voices, um, I mean, that's a tale of human history, right? But the progressives bleeding on about how they want what they want and if they don't get it, fuck everybody and fuck Joe Manchin and all this stuff. It's like, no, you know, what has been done so far is good and more can happen if you can fucking compromise, which is the whole point of being an adult. Um, so it's multiple things and it drives me bananas, but... <laughs> 
it's, you know, I hate that like Madison Cawthorn and Marjorie Taylor Greene and all those Lauren Borbler, all those freaks get so much news coverage. And I hate that the, on the progressive side, it's the same thing. It's the loudest voices, not the most powerful voices who are getting the most coverage. I don't know about the word. I think the word, we got to transform the word loud into the, uh, these are violent uh, uh, you know those those three GOP Congress people that you listen. They're 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 violent. It's a yeah. I mean, I know we're going to get all kinds of feedback of like, how dare you compare AOC to Madison Cawthorn? And I'm not saying that there was no, same I, degrees I, of negative. I know that the listeners are going to assume that that's what I'm I saying. Am. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that we should be listening to Benny Thompson, not yeah, you know, not the not the loudest. Not yeah, voices, or not the squeakiest wheels. I wonder if yeah. it has to do with the both sides bullshit. Like if if mm-hmm. if it's something like um, the infrastructure bill, which has so much approval, the media is sort of trained to hunt around for people to say bad things about it on the left or on the right. Like because they've got a both sides everything. Um, it, it's it's just you know I know you guys haven't seen it yet, but that that don't look up movie, uh, which is about. Basically, there's an asteroid heading towards Earth that's going to kill all of humanity in six months, and how people behave about that. Where the you know the media is like both sidesing it. Well, maybe there's not an asteroid. No, yeah, it's pretty much a fucking asteroid, and it's coming. And they just don't want to. They just can't break out of their uh, the rigid formula for doing these things. Um, always makes me wonder, like, what would they? What would today's media have done? you know, with Hitler and the concentration camps, that would they have both sides that? Probably, you know, they would have had on the, well, here's what Goebbels says that, you know, you don't have to do that every time. Sometimes things are just pretty absolute. I mean, the, 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 you know, the infrastructure bill is what it is. Just that's it. It's, it's right. good. So, so then there's a collapsing of things, right? There's a collapse that very, that, you know, that very Soviet technique uh, yep. that is evolved into today's, uh, Russia, the Kremlin, of the both sides, which does not come from. It doesn't come from. It's not. That's not even part of our culture. That's something that <laughs> that some people were trained well in by uh, by forces that have do not have our best interests at heart. And then it kind of caught on. I think there's just sort of uh, mimetic contagion when it comes to the to the you know. Oh, I could do a both sides. It was like it's sort of a muscle and a training that that that. Uh, that folks adapted at, but wasn't it? It's not news. It was never news. That approach is not news. So if an asteroid, if an absolutism is happening, if an asteroid is coming for the Earth, if a if an insurrection happened, yes, um, if an infrastructure bill happened, the news isn't finding an other side of that fact, that story. The news is. How is how will this affect us? That is the news. Yeah. And so those are there's somehow we have to hijack uh, that the lead, right? The headline by making it our own talking points. And uh, I because I'm I've completely resigned about the fourth estate. I really am. Uh, as it is now, I, I, it, the whole thing needs to <laughs> needs to needs a not even a reboot. I don't even know, you know, but you know, as they're 
they're also trained by their access to sources um, to carry the talking points of one specific party, the one that is so loquacious with them behind the scenes. You know, so either uh, Dems on the Hill and our, our current administration needs to be giving these access junkie uh, reporters. I know you think that the ones on the street aren't the ones, but plenty are. Um, they, those, they need to get them addicted to the drug of you know, the, their own political talking points, their own successes, like you said, Lou, they need to be better about telling their successes. They actually just need someone within the White House that is willing to be a um, off the records, high place source to get people like Jake Sherman to put their fucking phone number in his phone and text him <laughs> whenever he's in a personal crisis. Oh my God, come save us. Well, why are you? Hey, Jake. Yeah. Look at who you're texting that to. Huh? Yeah. Kevin <laughs> McCarthy. Look at who your source is. Right. Now we know. Now we know who you were getting all your scoops from. So, you know, either the folks on the Hill that are gems need to get addicted themselves and figure out how to do the scoop for the access journalists so that they have a scoop. Oh, I can tell you what's going on and got to sprinkle some palace intrigue in there. Or they're not going to be interested. Right. Or, and of course I've lost my train of thought with where I started with this, this rant, but you know, or we have to, I got it. We have to hijack it ourselves with, uh, you know, these influential accounts and really coordinate our messaging. There are a lot of us who did this as you, as you know, cause you were in there with me. We did this um, for the last presidential election um, and we're going to have to figure out how to do this, not just for election cycles, but for news cycles. But I'm yeah. tired. <laughs> I'm exhausted, too. So we it need would be more. nice. Yeah, you know, it would be nice if the journalists whose job it is and who get paid to do that job would do that job. You know? part of it, I think it's, never I think it's it. two things. Yeah, I think I we have to train the news consuming public to to demand it. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, wait. It, that's up to us. We're going to have to train them. <laughs> We're going to have to, you know, and there's all kinds of ways that can be done. It can be done through art. Like don't look up as you thinking about this, you know, great. It can be done through uh, just our, our social media accounts and just, we're going to, but we're going to have to get ourselves together even more. I know we're exhausted, but we're going to have to coordinate even more than we do and just really zero in on the talking points that we need the fourth estate to pick up and run with, and we're gonna to have to show them analytics in order for that to work. And so show them that there's money here. Here's the money, go chase this now. And then, you know, we need our Dem leadership and our Hill leadership. Nancy Pelosi needs to get really good at giving scoops to some, I don't know, some fucking reporter. Like get, get in there, give them the scoops, give them a little bit of the, you know, this, this sort of high-mindedness of Dems in terms of, oh, we don't do that. That's what they do. Well, yeah, they, they won. <laughs> they right. won with that. Right. And we're about to lose democracy. So, right. you know, it, use the tactic, but put good content in there instead of violence and insurrection and lies, put truth and hope and, uh, and real action and, and a diagnostic of what the actual problems are and how we can solve them. Put that shit in there and get those damn people on the fricking cable news because they still have power. They still have airwaves, they're about to lose it. It's really, truly gonna all shift to, to digital. But 
get those people to carry our talking points. So it's interesting what you just said about the the media and the the coverage and how to take back the narrative. One of the one of the things I got wrong, I think, five years ago, certainly, and, and going up, I really thought Fox News was going to pivot and turn on Trump at some point, because historically, people do want the truth. This has happened. I've said this before on on Zeb show. I think maybe I even said it on on World Beneath. I can't remember. Back at the at the Spanish American War, we were lied to by the Hearst newspapers. We went to war for no reason. It was all bullshit, and people didn't like that. They realized they were being lied to, and they stopped reading that shit paper and they started reading the New York Times, ironically, because the Times said we're just going to give you the truth, all the news that's fit to print, meaning not the shit that isn't, you know. Not the scandal bullshit and everything else, just the actual stuff that's happening. And people liked that. And that's why the Times became what it became and the other papers faded out. Fox has not done that. They have not repudiated, never repudiated Trump. If anything, they've doubled down on the lies and the disinformation and the bullshit. We've got Tucker Carlson, who I think has lost plenty of ad revenue and advertisers, just shilling for a Hungarian dictator who is a bagman for from Mokalevich. It's a, it, it doesn't get more obvious than that, right? But that's what Fox News is. And I don't, if, if the fucking, if, if the pandemic, if a, if a pandemic doesn't pierce the information bubble, I don't know that anything possibly can. I mean, there isn't anything worse than that, is there? I, well, here's the really, really morbid truth is that once enough of their audience dies, from the pandemic, which they have, you know, pr promulgated pandemic denial theories, et cetera. Once enough of those people are either so sick that they realize that they were lied to or literally fucking die, there's no profit motive for Fox to change what they're doing because they, yes, ultimately you would assume human nature, Darwinism, et cetera, means the truth should win, right? But there are a lot of people who just want to deny the truth all the damn time, and they want that on their IV drip is truth denial, right? Yeah. So there's, you know, if you can be a merchant selling to a small, like a specialty merchant selling to a small buying public and be very successful, and that's what Fox News is. Yeah. They're a specialty merchant of disinformation for the people who want that specific brand of disinformation. So I, mean, I don't think they are going to adapt because they're making money the way they are. No, they're not. They're, they're not going to. They're never going to. No. I don't know how much money they're making, actually, frankly. But yeah, I, I mean, they might be losing money, but the billionaires who own it don't care. Maybe they're okay. being funded by other sources. Maybe they're being, I don't know, paid in some other ways to shovel this fucking Soviet propaganda down our throat. Maybe. I'm just right. saying. Possibly. But one way to defund them is to give up your cable. And when you quit your cable, tell your cable company, I am quitting because I do not want to be funding Fox News. Because That's the true. way Fox News makes money, they don't make money from ad revenue. They make money from being able to negotiate with the cable companies so that every month that you pay your cable bill, like however much has been negotiated, goes directly to Fox News. And they have uh, incredible clout when it comes to negotiating with the cable companies. So that's why everyone should dump the cable and switch to streaming. And when you dump your cable, tell them I am dumping you because I don't want to be funding Fox News. If enough people can do that, that's what really bites them in the ass. They don't make money from ads. It's not ads, right? My pillow guy is not solely funding Fox News. It's <laughs> the fact that, you know, 
right. whatever percent of the country that doesn't watch Fox News but is paying for cable is funding. There, we are. If you have cable, you are funding this extremely anti-American disinformation network just because your cable company was forced to negotiate with them and a portion of your cable bill every month goes right into Rupert Murdoch's pocket. It's that, it, 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 they're called the MSOs and the, and the satellites, right? There's two, two, which is one negotiation deal, one agreement that has to be struck uh, on behalf of Fox News for their syndication on, on across the nation. So they actually also really, I'd like to see, I think if there's a journalist that wanted to actually do some work and get into a great story, get those get those agreements, get their, the MSOs across the different agreements that Fox might have across the different um, cable providers and the and the two sat, two big satellite uh, companies and see what their cut is, see what they get, what they're able to negotiate, but also what you'll see in those contracts. I know because I used to <laughs> see these contracts. When I worked for a company who went down the tube because the gate, what you call the gate uh, for premium, it was a premium uh, channel, which you call and several channels, what you call the gate, which is uh, how much do you get per either per purchase if it's pay-per-view or on a monthly subscription basis per user from these different agreements. The, we, uh, the company I was at, the gate got squeezed down to almost nothing and it couldn't survive, right? And then they were changing things in the marketplace. And one of them was, it wasn't where people went to get that kind of content anymore. They had the internet, they were getting it from the internet. So that also is can happen to Fox News, but it would be great if some, if all these people who are supposedly leaving or get fed up with it, you know, from business affairs, someone in business affairs, <laughs> would have access to those agreements and we'd be able to see what their cut is of every subscriber, um, the, it, whatever user, every, every person on the other, uh, you know, what is, what's this company's quote unquote gate? It wouldn't be that term, but what is their gate? Yeah, and, defund Fox News. And you can defund it that way. The other problem is that it's not just Fox News, the whole Fox apparatus. They have a lot of channels on the, including Fox, which has good I mean. shit on yeah. it. You know, so that's right. Uh, you know, it, it, you've got to not watch football. I mean, these are these are complicated things, and probably when they negotiate, they're saying it's all or nothing. You can't, right. you know, split it apart. And that's exactly and stuff like what that. they do. Yeah, um, fuckers. So uh, okay, so we're we're getting up to the time. So I want to go through. I, I should tell you my story of what I think is the most underreported story, which is clearly Kamala Harris's cookware and headphones choices. I feel like we need more content like that. And that's what will save America. Please tell us something that Kamala does that other people uh, do um, and frame it badly. We need more of that. That's really what's gonna save us. I just wanna give a shout out to enameled cast iron because I have some of my mom's enameled cast iron from the early 1970s and it's still going strong. All right, Cast Iron. Good. Is that a show sponsor? Will they? Um, <laughs> Honestly, though, my 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 actual one is is the COVID business. Um, we have a prior administration that knowingly uh, fucked up the pandemic response, killing at this point probably eight hundred thousand Americans, uh, three quarters of a million of them unnecessarily. Uh, that seems like maybe something we should hear more about. I don't know, and also the money that they took that with, with all the loans and the PPP, where'd that all go? Jared Kushner was not in there, not trying to make money. There, there's no way in hell that Trump and Kushner 
didn't at least try to maximize profit from this. That's aside from staying in power. That's the first thing that they were trying to do. We need more of that. You know, we need. Well, don't forget Steve Mnuchin in that. Everyone leaves that man's name out of mm. uh, out these conversations, and he's the first person we should be talking about as well, or, or the third person. You know, definitely Donald and Kush. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. One of my um, favorite activities is when you see like like provocants, as I call them, which is um, people who do uh, political provocation. Provocants, you're welcome to use that word. Um, <laughs> is to look up how much they check in PPE loans. <laughs> so if you see some stupid organization, you know, MAGA, whatever, blah, blah, find the names of the people who are involved and put their name in the PPE search engine. And if they're like super anti-communist and then you find that they got like $500,000 in PPE, just print it out to people. It's really great. It's a very fun activity. What? Yet another thing we could be doing when people are like, what can I do? Yeah. What can I what do? What can we do? What can we do? We can do that. Yeah, we could do yeah. that. So that's my, and, and before we, before I uh, let you guys go, um, I want to go around and just talk about like maybe one prediction for the, for the coming year. And that would be mine. I think, I think we're going to have a story that's going to come out about that money. I feel like sometime during the next year, we're going to hear about that money and that's going to be a big story and a driver, hopefully for people turning on this motherfucker, um, because one thing people don't like is is having money stolen from them, which is effectively what that guy. You know, I, I argued this in, when he won the election. I wrote a piece uh, in 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 November of 2017 saying conflict of interest. When people realize he's stealing money from you, they'll get mad about it, and nobody ever bothered with it. Uh, but the guy, you know, with that fucking hotel of his and. Uh, you know, you're not supposed to make money from the presidency. You're not supposed to be, do that. And he, he, I'm sure made more than anybody ever had. Um, so that's, that's my prediction. So I want to hear uh, your predictions. Lou, why don't you go first? Uh, okay. Um, so what is my prediction for next year? Um, I think we are going to find out some very interesting things from the January 6th committee. Um, there are two lawsuits that have been filed in the last couple weeks, which are a tell, in my opinion. The first is Ali Alexander is filing filed a lawsuit saying, I gave you all of my communications with GOP lawmakers. Do not subpoena Verizon for all of my phone records. Now, what does that tell us? Well, he's saying he cooperated and he gave them all of his communications with GOP lawmakers. If that is the extent of his involvement in January 6th, then why would he then need to tell them to not allow Verizon to give his phone records? It's because he wasn't just communicating with GOP lawmakers. He made it very clear right after the insurrection that he was in communication with, you know, a whole bunch of fuckers like Gosar and Gomart and all the bigs and all those freaks. What is he hiding, right? Why is he suing to not have his phone records shown it's because he was probably in coordination with a bunch of people who are not gop lawmakers i.e flynn first amendment praetorian roger stone the funders of all this whole shitbag mess etc so i think that is a very big story i don't think he'll win um because if he's cooperating and giving his communications with all the gop lawmakers but not everybody else who was involved well 
dude, you got to give it up. So that's one <laughs> thing. Um, and then the other lawsuit is this guy, is it Budowicz or Budowicz? I don't know how you pronounce his last name. Um, but he was a Trump spokesman named T Taylor. I think it's Budowicz. I don't know. But he is suing. He's saying that he, he gave 1,700 pages of documentation to the white um to the january 6th committee but he's suing because he does not want their subpoena of jp morgan for his financial records to go through so what does that tell you that tells you why are they subpoenaing his financial records it's because there's they don't just randomly subpoena shit, right they're subpoenaing his financial records because they think that he was getting money related to january 6th which yep. is in the scope of their investigation. So those two lawsuits to me are quite telling. Um, it, it says to me that Betty Thompson is getting closer and closer to the money trail. Um, and that's gonna be extremely interesting given what we know about Clarence Thomas's wife's involvement in financing some of the insurrectionists travel to the Capitol. So I think we are going to find out some pretty shocking things um, from the January 6th committee. I also don't think that they are subpoenaing these records because they're firing a shotgun at evidence. I think they're subpoenaing these records because they already had a sniper take those guys out. And I'm sorry for the violent rhetoric, but what I mean is I think that they already have what they need and they are just going to, they are, they are subpoenaing the records to confirm what they already know. Yeah. I don't think that they're just like taking a shot in the dark, like, oh, hey, maybe this guy got some money from some of those organizers, et cetera. So that's yeah. my prediction. I think the the place to watch is the Jan 6 committee. Um, and uh, I think part of the reason why these provocants like Bobert and Biggs and Gosar and all those freaks are doing all this distract distraction stuff like the America Fest conference and, you know, whatever, is to try to soak up some of the media coverage ahead of, they're trying to get out in front of what's going to come out about them and their involvement. Mm. Okay, good. Okay, well, I have two little things to say on both of yours, and then I'll, I'll say mine. So quick with Lou, um, what, what timing, what is your sense of timing when it's gonna, when the sort of shock and awe of January 6th will begin? I think it's gonna be drips and drabs um, because so much of this is being tied up in the courts. Like Trump is trying to take his shit uh, to SCOTUS. Um, so they're, he's trying to slow down what's happening as much as possible. You know, Meadows said he was cooperating and now he's not cooperating and whatever. So I, I am of the opinion that it's not going to be just like a boom, here's all the information. I, it's going to be drips and drabs like we've been seeing. Um, and I would guess that the bulk of the information would be out by August, um, because they don't want to be seen as being political and interfering with elections. So you're going to, I think it is the my summer. prediction that over the summer is when we're going to see the bulk of the information come out. Now, the question is, if they're dropping out, out in drips and drabs, is anyone in the news media going to be able to put together the fucking story in a way that the American public can understand? And I think the answer to that is no. And I think that's why, unfortunately, us exhausted brigade of 
Three Musketeers is going to have to have a podcast about it over the summer. Oh, look at that. Look at we right. didn't know this. Audience. Yeah, so that's a date. <laughs> okay, more work. Uh, okay. <laughs> and then, Greg, just remind everyone real quick what your what your prediction was. I just think the money for the for the you know for the pandemic. I think that right. whatever the, the the money that was like so with Mnuchin, we're right, going right. to find out about it more. I, I yeah, I think you're I think you're absolutely right on that. And what I wanted to say was, look at this this what did happen, even though we're recording this before New Year's Eve. Um, what did happen this past week was it? Donald's been like, whenever he gets nervous about, oh my God, are they going to find out what I did? Um, he starts, he, he, you know, he chooses his lane. I mean, the guy does, he is such a primal brain um, and a survivor from this sort of primal brain, like a, like a, like a, you know, I don't want to give him the compliment of calling him a shark, but I think that's why sharks freak him out so much is that it's the same brain where you can smell the blood in the water before anybody else from miles and miles away. And he'll just, you know, if it's his blood, he'll just move. So he made that big move this past week on with Bill O'Reilly talking about how, yeah, get boosted, get vaxxed. And now, you know, Alex Jones is freaking everyone's turning on him, but it's, this is a cover, right? This is yeah. him trying to give cover for himself because something's coming. We're going to learn some really horrible stuff. I think beyond just even the money and the thieving and the stealing and the using the pandemic. But I, I, I bet you there's communications we can find that will surface that they, they really did that reporting on Kushner that Vanity Fair did back at the, at the time mm -hmm. that he, you know, this sort of shadow task yeah. force, COVID task force was actually plotting and planning how to use, how to weaponize a deadly pandemic to kill um, for political reasons, to kill, to make it worse in the blue states. Yep. Um, you know, and that's why, you know, people have even forgotten that, that Remember how Donald was like, no, the governors are on their own and yeah. all the PP, all the PPE got hoarded, right? And Jared went and used actually um, FEMA. I do know this for a fact. I couldn't get the New York Times to kick this story and I had sources for them. Hoarded the even the tests so that they didn't, we didn't have the basic tools in the hands of the states. Um, and said, you're on your own, go find it yourself. And you know, California was getting shit from China, even just to try to get some protective equipment or a test or something, ventilators, anything, right? That, we've all forgotten that. It was huge. So I think there's evidence around that that's coming up, right? There's a, there's a story that was just out about Jared Kushner raising a billion, mm. $3 billion or something Look for, for Steve a new fund. Yeah, so uh, that is gonna be interesting because where is that money coming from? Yeah, Who is giving him that funding and why? Um, so that was like just out last week, I think. That's affinity, affinity partners. Affinity. That's what it's called. Affinity. Oh, I have an affinity friendly. for crooked murderers in the who run these <laughs> Middle Eastern countries. That's what I have an affinity for. I have an affinity for. All right, so I have my prediction, but okay. it's, it's, you guys, it's coming more from intuition. Don't I don't want the audience to take this and go, oh, I'll be know something, <laughs> and you know, and maybe, yeah, maybe a little bit of reading the tea leaves of of stuff that I do know. Um, I think we're gonna have a shocking death uh, related to uh, like an Epstein level death in 2022 related to the former administration um, and or cause same thing, uh, Assange. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
while Assange has been suffering mightily, you know, those <laughs> many strokes. Oh, the poor guy, poor, brave journalist. Yeah. So Bridget, I would like to make yourself for a conspiracy land gone completely. I mean, that's the thing that's going to get ratcheted up to a next level in 2022. It's just I'd, crazy. I'd like to repeat my signature statement, which is that hacking is not journalism. Yep. Correct. And also espionage is not journalism. It's not whistleblowing either. It yeah. is not whistleblowing. Yeah. Also, Doing the bidding of the Russian intelligence services is fucking not journalism. No, <laughs> it's true. Also, Julian Assange, no means no, you know. So there's that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we're going to meet back next year and, and, and we'll play these predictions over and see which ones <laughs> which ones uh, bear fruit and which ones don't. Um, yeah, this is guys. Thanks so much for joining me. We have LB, host of The World Beneath, um, on Twitter at Lincoln's Bible. We have Lou New on Twitter at Nina and Tito. Did I get it right? Yeah, those are my puppy dogs. Nina has passed away, unfortunately, but Tina, Tito's still going strong. Yeah, so um, if you do not follow, uh, please go follow. Like I said before, um, these two did sit journo a long, long time ago, long before I was on this, this, this beat at all. Um, so, you know, they're way ahead of the curve and continue to be way ahead of the curve. So, um, thank you so much, guys. Uh, it's great to see you and happy new year. Happy Thanks, new year. Happy All right, we're new coming, year. we're coming right back with part two. Season two of Swing Left's How We Win is here. We have an incredible opportunity to fight for our democracy. We don't agonize, we organize. And we've got a lot of work to do. Subscribe right now on Apple and everywhere you get your pods for insight, action, and your reasons for hope. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Mariah Craven. And, and this, this is season two, two of How, How We Win. Win. Welcome back to the Prevail New Year's Eve special. Sherry Jacobus, welcome to Prevail Podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Kimberly Johnson, welcome to Prevail Podcast. Hey, everybody. Happy New Year. Yeah. I'm glad to have you guys on, finally. Um, <laughs> hey, we you know, are too. You know, I, I've been meaning to for a long time, so it's I'm I'm very glad that you uh, you could spend some time with me today and share your uh, your wisdom and and judgment and analysis of what's going on. Sherry, you've been you've been <laughs> you had a a tweet the other day where somebody said oh, Sherry's right, and then you posted it and said evergreen tweet, and uh, <laughs> it's true. I mean, I think you know if if your average the average of being right. Yours yes. is, is you have a higher percentage than anybody, I think, during this whole five year mess. And um, so maybe at the end, you can tell us what stocks to buy or something. Oh, or it... Yeah, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> it only extends to horrible Trump people. It doesn't, the power of, of foresight doesn't go into, you know, who's going to win. I can only the... see around corners on certain political matters. That's my yeah. only, that's my superpower. <laughs> so, what I wanted to talk about today. Um, it's just the year that 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 happened. We're recording this on, on December 27th, and it's going to run on the 31st on New Year's Eve. So people listening, it is New Year's Eve for them. It's not yet New Year's Eve for us. Who knows? Maybe somebody will get arrested this week. I think no. Okay. But uh, 
hey, strangest things have happened, you know? Um, so what I want to get is um, what you guys think. I this, These are just talking points, really, just underreported stories of the last year and also what we think is going to happen uh, in the new year. So uh, who, who wants to go first? Any, anyone? Go ahead, Sherry. Okay. I think that um, I've tweeted about this a lot, but I think one of the underreported stories, and, and it's ridiculous why it's been underreported, I think people think, oh my gosh, you don't want to put this content out there, like somehow that'll prevent bad things from happening, like we haven't learned our lesson, or they think it sounds too tinfoil hat-ish, which again, we should have learned our lesson. I think the underreported story is the fact that you've got elected members of Congress and other leaders of Trumpism. Uh, and, and leaders of dangerous groups talking very seriously about if, maybe when, uh, Republicans win back the House in the midterms, which it looks like they may very well do. I would, you know, it's the trends, it's gearing towards that, uh, that they would then elect Donald Trump as the Speaker of the House. Uh, and people just roll their eyes and they say, well, that, you know, that's not going to happen. Well, you've got elected members of Congress, Matt Gates and others that are talking about it. Uh, this is their intention. This is what a Steve Bannon would absolutely love. Um, and whenever I put a tweet out there about this, people say, well, no, he's not a member of Congress or he'd never settle for such a low job or he's too lazy to do the job. None of that matters. First of all, you do not have to be an elected member of Congress uh, to be Speaker of the House. Correct. That fact alone should send just chills up your spine. Secondly, since when does Trump care about doing the job? He didn't do the job as president. He would have McCarthy do it uh, or somebody else that he trusts, and he would just cause trouble. He would impeach both Biden and Harris. Of course, um, then people say, well, even if they do that, the, you know, they, they're, they're not going to get indicted in the Senate. So that's not a problem. Again, that's not the danger. They would cause that kind of trouble. He would wreak havoc, of course. But the real danger is, as Speaker of the House, Donald Trump would be two heartbeats away from, he'd be uh, second in line to the presidency. Yeah. Uh, I think that places the very lives. You have to be careful how you say this on Twitter, uh, but I'll, I guess I have to say it outright because people don't aren't getting it. Uh, when you look at what the crazy, violent crowd did at the Capitol last January 6th, and think of a whole lot of those people who are now emboldened should Trump be made Speaker of the House, uh, it places the lives of the president and the vice president in grave, grave danger, uh, because the only way then for Trump to become president, uh, short of actually running for president in 2024 and winning or cheating to win, would be if the president and the vice president are out of the way, and then he would be president. Anybody who thinks that's just crazy talk or tinfoil hat, uh, that you've been in a coma since you know yeah. twenty mid twenty fifteen. Uh, remember, I was an early victim to Trump and his thugs, and I had stuff being done to me that when I talked about the little that I could talk about because the FBI was involved, it sounded like crazy tinfoil hat stuff. Now it's accepted, it's proven. I yeah, you know, I mean, this is yeah. this is what I believe is happening. So I think the midterms are extremely important. Uh, I do not think we should be wasting money on groups that are not truly uh, out there to elect Democrats. And I won't go into all that again, unless you really want uh, we to know who you're talking about. Yeah, uh, Because the in 2020, that was the year and what they were supposed to do, Democrats were supposed to increase their House majority to build a cushion 
against the expected losses, uh, the traditional losses in the midterm elections of 2022. Instead, Democrats lost in that 10. Yes. That singular point right there is it's it's the tipping point. It's the fulcrum of everything that we're about to face because that is what can and may make Donald Trump Speaker of the House and launch the real problem. Hmm. That's terrifying. Are you scared yet? <laughs> yes, I am because you know everything that you said absolutely can happen. And again, how, how many years can we go on and say, well, no, he'll never do that. <laughs> I mean, he's done everything. And I wrote about the insurrection right after the insurrection. Um, you know, it was a besieging of the Capitol. And I, I believe that those people were there to kill Pence, Pelosi, and Grassley, if, 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 if needed, to get to somebody in power who would give Trump a pardon if, if Trump would then resign, which would be Pompeo, who yeah, I think would do anything. Who was conveniently out of the country at the time. Mm, yeah, <laughs> lucky him. Um, so I, I, you know, we're very lucky that more that more people didn't die that day. That could have easily been a bloodbath, and you know, had the pipe bombs worked. Yeah, all, all of it is just uh, yeah. so. So the scenario that you talk about, which is not something you invented, this is something they're talking about. Exactly. Yeah, it, it's a plan that they have where they want to install this guy. I mean, something else he could do if he was Speaker of the House is just nothing. He could just do nothing, right? right. That would also be bad. Um, you know. Ugh. We're really just more infrastructure week. <laughs> <laughs> he would like, would he be able to call in from Mar-a-Lago? I mean, it, 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 it's so sad, but um, I don't know. Uh, I, let, let's go back to your, to your point. Cause I want to talk more about that, but Kimberly, what, what, what do you have as a, as a, uh, as an underreported story for. Uh, okay. Well, on the other end of this, because it's not political and it shouldn't be political, but I think, and you know what, I didn't come up with this. Somebody, on Twitter did a whole thread about it. And I thought, oh my God, this is so true. And it's the fact that uh, nobody is reporting on long COVID. 37% of people who get COVID get long COVID. You can get it if you're vaccinated and if you're boosted. And the thing is, is uh, well, let me just say, part of long COVID, it's, it includes depression, brain fog, trouble breathing. There's also the long-term effects of COVID where you can have it for like a week, Two months down the line, uh, you know, you have issues. Somebody, somebody who listens to Bob Seska's show got COVID and then sometime later developed AFib. So afibrillation or however you say, it, I don't know how to say it properly, even though my father has it. Um, and I, it's, it runs in my family, but that's that fluttering heartbeat. And, you know, on, on one of these threads, I think it was the thread talking about the fact that there's long COVID. I think it was Eric Feigl or I, I don't know how to, oh, I can't remember. It's an epidemiologist who, who, who has all kinds of credentials, Eric Feigl Ding or, Ding or something like that. He was talking about how COVID can stay in your organs for like five months, even if you have no symptoms. And so on this particular thread, there was somebody who commented that they had a family member who had COVID and it was just like normal, you know, that wasn't long COVID or anything. And then I don't know how long later, several <clears throat> months later, died of a heart attack. And they said, look, we, were, we will never know if it's COVID related because they're not going to look for that. They're just going to say, oh, this person died of a heart attack. So I think that it's important to stress that vaccines are incredibly important because obviously they're keeping people from dying and they're also keeping symptoms mild. I just um, 
it, I know it's, it, this is going to air on uh, December 31st, but I just posted another doctor who did this long thread who was stressing the importance of vaccines because it's literally saving our lives. But there are breakthroughs. This is a brand new virus. I think people are very tired of this virus, but they're unwilling. So many, including the vaccinated and the boosted, they're unwilling to understand that there are still some extra steps that we all have to take. There's still a risk of catching it. Even if everybody in your holiday gathering has been vaccinated and boosted, it's, it's better to get everyone tested first. It's better to avoid going to these, you know, mass celebrations, whether it's, you know, at, literally at mass or if it's uh, some kind of an event, you know, going to an opera. Because I know Kathy Griffin had tickets to go see Stevie Wonder. And she's like, look, my husband and I are vaccinated and we're boosted. I'm only operating on half a lung but this is tickets to Stevie Wonder, should we go? And everybody's like, don't go. Yeah. And she didn't go. And, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's easy for some of these skeptics to say, then why even get vaccinated? Well, the reason why is because the people who are vaccinated oftentimes have fairly mild symptoms and mild is going to be different with everybody. Sometimes mild means like a harsh flu. Sometimes it's just like a bad cold. But the alternative is being hooked up, intubated, hooked up to a machine or dying. And in this, unfortunately, because of COVID, um, people who are dying, whether it's COVID related or not, they're dying alone because families can't get in to see their loved one. So I just want everybody listening, if you're vaccinated, if you're boosted and you're like, that's all I need to do, keep in mind, if you get a breakthrough, there's a possibility that you could get long COVID. So just take those extra precautions, wear two masks, especially this, you know, after the Christmas gatherings um, where everybody got together, really make an effort because this is going to be so difficult to get over if the certain amount of, you know, population is refusing to get vaccinated. The best way to stop this is just to take those extra steps. No, you know, I learned that the hard way, Kimberly. I went to New York last week and it was right like the day that we were hearing uh, that the new variant hit New Jersey and Manhattan. Well, they have a a vax card, um, you show your vaccination card when you go into a restaurant or a bar. Now they only require one vaccination. So as the weeks wear on, that's meaningless. Right. So I uh, went out to uh, for drinks and then dinner with a friend and we showed our vax card. Um, and then we went to dinner and they sat us at a table next to other people and they did not have the dividers in that part of the restaurant. You know, in New York, they have the big plastic dividers, which is pretty good. Mm -hmm. And um, I started feeling nervous about it the next day. So while I did go to a diner that did have uh, dividers, I spent the rest of the weekend. I did not go to a show. They were canceling everything. I walked around outside. Well, I caught a cold. Sunday night when I came back, uh, I tested myself. I had a home test left over from when I had to do one for a sinus procedure a few weeks ago. I tested negative. Uh, I, the other day I tested myself again. I went and got a bunch. And plus I had a bunch on order before the big rush tested negative again. So the family, 10 people were going to gather at Christmas time. Well, two of the people um, who were going to be there had been exposed. Uh, they, my nephew's roommate. Yeah. So we're scrambling to see if we have the test and we, they decided, we just decided this is not safe. My parents are elderly. So they decided their immediate family would do it in the garage with the door open <laughs> and we're going to do something, you know, in, in January, because that's really, I mean, what else? can you do? I mean, I, but I, you know, to your point, I felt that I was protected because I was vaxxed and boosted. And, um, 
I wasn't, you know, but I do have my N95 masks. I'm in a part of Maryland where people aren't wearing masks. And we have a zip code here that out of 467 Maryland zip codes, the zip code here is the worst in the state for COVID. And we don't even have the most people around here. So it's crazy out there. Crazy. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, I want to stress because this is new, like, you know, the flu has been around forever. Cold has been around forever. We're used to it. We understand it. And I think because people are so tired of this, it's going on two years and people are so tired of all of this. They're just like, oh, I just don't want to deal with it anymore. And I can't, I can't live my life in fear. It's not about living your life in fear. Every time you put your seatbelt on, you're not living your life in fear. You're taking a precaution. And it's not that we can't see our families. It's just that we have to, you know, one of the things is the tests. I know it was, I think it was Joe from Jersey on Twitter. She announced to everybody that she got COVID and she's vaccine boosted. Unfortunately, she seems to be doing well now, but she mentioned in a, in a DM room that she had taken a test. She didn't, fe- she got the symptoms. I think it was on Monday. So she took a test on Monday, negative. She took a test day on Tuesday. It was negative. Then she took a test on Wednesday and it was positive. So you can literally have the virus and still test negative because it's just not showing up on the test yet for whatever reason. I don't know if that means that uh, people can catch it from if you're infectious. I don't know. Maybe the doctors know better. But the whole point is, is people are making these assumptions that, oh, I know it's this way. And you don't know because it's a new virus. And every day there's new information. And so it's like, you know, I mean, we learned on December, I mean, I'm sorry, on November 25th on Thanksgiving that Omicron was here and, you know, people were saying, well, I'm not going to panic. And it's like, good, you shouldn't panic, but watch the news every day because there's always new information. And so, yeah, I mean, it's extremely important to take these precautions and it's really the only way we're going to be able outside of getting everybody, everyone vaxxed, which we know is close to impossible, but you know, the rest of us being responsible and taking precautions not living in fear, um, you know, that could really make a difference. It's hard to know. I think, you know, your point about it being new is, is uh, spot on. Not only a new virus, but the, 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 the new strain of it behaves, mm-hmm. I think, a little bit differently than the old strains. Um, the schools here seem not to know exactly what to do and what the parameters are. You know, there is conflicting information about what people think is right. I think in terms of the tests, you have to wait three to five days before after exposure to take a test. Otherwise, right. it's too soon. And, yeah. and, you know, as happened, it would be negative before it's positive and, and stuff like that. But they're still I think I think they're still figuring it out. And then you have, you know, the, the, the anti-vax crew on Twitter saying, well, the CDC keeps uh, putting out conflicting information. Mm-hmm. Um, no, the CDC no. is figuring shit out and they're telling you what they know at that time, which is obviously right. going to change. Um, mm-hmm. But the, your point about about long COVID is is it's absolutely underreported, and yeah. the only statistic we seem to be using is people who die of COVID, which that statistic is scary, ridiculously high, mm-hmm. and uh, you know a quarter of a million people died unnecessarily in deaths that could have been prevented had Trump not tried to monetize this and and use yeah. it for political gain by by sabotaging the response, um, but. There's still there's pl- there's people who have died that don't attribute it to COVID. There's people like you know the the person who maybe had a heart attack and, and it was related to it and they don't know for sure. And then there's people who have long COVID whose lives are, have been impacted by this in a really negative way um, for months and months and and you know maybe the rest of their lives. That doesn't really show up 
in the statistics that people are talking about either. So um, this is a much more serious thing, I think, that people realize or, um, you know, or are willing to, uh, to, to process at this time. Yeah. Yeah, because they're just there's a thing that you can do that uh, this is what happened to me, and I think you have to sign up for it Um, on my phone. What I got was an alert that said your phone had been within six feet for at least 15 minutes of someone who has tested positive COVID. So I was exposed. Oh, my God. That app. What app is that? I, you know, I don't know what it was, (laughs) but this so I must have been I was exposed in New York um, when I was there. And um, I, but that's, you know, but I've been testing negative, um, but I've been exposed and I think, but it's all anonymous uh, and it's done by your phone. So I think I got, someone said, do you want to sign up for this? But I did sign up for it and thank goodness. And uh, the friend that I was with, who's in, lives in New Jersey, who had gotten tested right before she met up with me, you know, to keep me safe because, you know, I'm immune compromised because of cancer this year. And um, she, and so she tested negative. She was okay, we can get together because you know, you show your Vax card. Again, this was right as it was hitting New Jersey and uh, New York, but having that extra information so you don't have to guess. And if you're around people who are like, oh, I haven't gotten it yet, I'll be okay, you know, right. that sort of thing. Um, I, you know, while it's a little alarming to get it, it's very comforting. And I realized that. Um, this is not the first time I've been within six feet for more than 15 minutes of somebody who's tested positive. I'm quite certain when you look how, how widespread this is, but to get that sort of confirmation, um, it tells you get tested, you know, uh, and maybe the people around you get tested, take this seriously, because I think a lot of people aren't. I'm in a part of Maryland, it's Western Maryland, um, you know, an hour or so outside of DC, and people are not wearing masks anywhere. There's big signs saying, Governor Hogan has lifted the mask mandate. Well, you know what? These people weren't wearing masks before anyway. I, I ordered N95s before the rush hit. Uh, oh. So it's it's the uh, sheer stupidity, arrogance, and selfishness of people uh, <laughs> astonishes me. You know, you know, I'd like to say, though, I'm glad that you didn't get it. And, and I'm sure the fact that you're vaccinated and boosted is, has protected you since clearly you have been exposed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You just think yeah. what, it, what it would be like if, if we right. were not that way, this would be another <laughs> horror oh. and, and which we're seeing with the unvaccinated people right mm-hmm. now. That's all the, you know, the lion's share of the hospitalizations and the deaths are people that aren't vaccinated. And, and apparently a significant percentage have uh, podcasts where they talk about how bad the vaccine is, which yes. I don't know what happens to these what happens to those podcasts after, you know, do people go back and re-listen to them? Let's hear what this guy said about this. He was so right, you know. Uh, <laughs> talk about something that has no shelf life. <laughs> Anti-vax podcast of guy who dies of COVID is probably not, you know, not one you're just going to stick around for a long time. <laughs> oh, um, oh, okay. So we have, we have Donald Trump is going to be the Speaker of the House. We have long COVID. <laughs> is, is, Fun. Yay. Happy New Year. It's horrible. Um, so what <laughs> it really is. But I do feel, do you, do you think, are you optimistic heading into, into 2022? Or are you like, because I think 2021 was pretty fucking awful. I think it was actually yeah. worse in, in many ways than, than, than 2020, even though we have, you know, we've had Biden and things have settled down at least a little bit on that front, it's still like the insurrection happened in, in, in 2021 and uh, all this stuff. What do, you, what do you think? Do you feel optimistic, Sherry? What, what do you think? Um, 
I don't. I don't feel optimistic. I don't think we're going to nail the bad guys. Um, there's obviously lots of argument about how long this should take. And we're talking just about the insurrection. Um, but the fact that we've seen no substantive movement or signs of movement on any of the Trump crimes um, is, is frightening to me. Uh, and not just Trump, but Trump's allies. We know the January 6th insurrection, you set that aside for, for a moment. Um, but if we can't act on anything else, uh, there's no sign of DOJ action. I, I don't have a lot of hope. I think we're going to find out a lot. I think the January 6th committee is going to give a lot of information. I think they know a lot of things. But remember, we got mullered um, before and over and over and over again. So um, I'm very nervous and trying to prepare myself emotionally uh, for them getting away with it because um, I know of so many things that some of them have gotten away with, the things that I've known about 2015 and again, some stuff that's related to me and also to uh, some whistleblowers in the IC community. Um, there's already a lot that's been swept under the rug. So, so I have this knowledge and um, I just see it happening again. It's, it certainly does feel that way. And we're told again, well, you know, uh, uh, America, they're, they're doing it. They have to be quiet. Uh, everything's fine. You just don't understand. You're not a lawyer. It's not uh, happening behind the scenes and, and, and this sort of thing. But my thing is, if I, if, and, if, and if we're critical, then we're the problem. By demanding yeah. action, we're the ones that have a, have a problem, right? So it's like, uh, my, my joke is, if I, if I want to um, put my faith in, in some sort of thing that I cannot see or understand that a savior will arise and judge the living and the dead. And as long as we're good and believe it's going to happen, I'll just go to church. I don't want that narrative like yeah. outside of that. I want, this is like the real. Well, you know, and the people who make that argument, Greg, they're only talking about January 6th. When you bring up all of the other crimes, you bring up the 10 instances of obstruction of justice as outlined in the Mueller report and a bunch of other stuff. They have no answer or you can, or they can sign, they can sound credible. If you, cherry pick these things if you isolate them out and you look at them as if there's nothing else that we're dealing with you know the they can find you know some reasons or excuse for why we don't know anything uh but there it's just not credible to take all of these crimes at every level by trump by trump's family by his associates and say that all of this stuff is happening they're all going to be held to account and everybody's just being so quiet about it and have faith because that's that's just bullshit. Excuse my French. Can I say it? Bullshit? Absolutely. <laughs> it's it's not just bullshit. Uh, it, it's it, it is, bullshit. and this is not yeah. a joke. And when yeah. it gets into the the personal attacks, you know, that's like there's something wrong with me. I, by the way, I get that a lot too. When I point out things for certain super PACs with what they've done and the impact that's going to have on the, you know people, like, well, this is just a personal thing, or you've got a real beef. It's like, no, I don't have a personal beef. I'm a beef. I'm pointing out actual facts. Connect the dots. I have no reason to have. <laughs> to, to to make this stuff up um and i tend to be right about this stuff and i do take off you know I, I i go after people on all different sides uh so when i am one of those people saying it's not making any sense that there's been zero movement on any of the trump crimes that we can see anything substantive you know we have every right to be concerned and to express that concern and anybody that thinks that not being allowed about this doesn't have some impact somewhere really you know they're not it's not supposed to but it does and we're going to keep keep loud about it and keep demanding justice and accountability.
I mean, we have to. You, you, you did the thing with America Reads the Mueller Report. So if people want to read the Mueller Report, they don't even need to read it. They can have it read to them by very talented people and just sit back and listen. Um, but, or they can just have uh, Bill Barr provide the cliff notes. There you go. Which, you know, <laughs> as anybody who knows the has, has used cliff notes knows, it says on the cliff notes, not to be used as a substitute for the original text. Got to read the thing itself to find out all this stuff. And yeah, as you've said, Sherry, many times, it's a roadmap for indictment, especially the, the second mm -hmm. part with all the uh, the obstruction of justice stuff. I mean, it's- you know, We don't have to wait for this. People like, these things to. take time. It's like, not this. I mean, the guy was yeah. right there telling Lester Holt. Yeah, I got rid of Comey for this. I mean, this it's wrapped up in a bow. It's, it's, it's ready to go for the most part. I mean, I don't want to oversimplify it, but no, it really doesn't take more time. And we need, I think we deserve an explanation. We do. We do. Um, okay, I'm bringing in, I'm bringing in uh, Tom J. Chicago now. This, this is, I've never done this before on the show where we try, not that it's live, I can edit it, but you know, it's very exciting. <laughs> he's coming in. This is on, uh, on, uh, on Twitter. He's, he's Tom J. Chicago and he is Tom Joseph. Um, so when he comes in, we're going to ask him, we're going to ambush him and ask him uh, what his, uh, storyline is uh for, i suppose i should introduce everybody um when you're there there he is hi tom oh there he went who's here for a second <laughs> then he went away yeah he took one look at this crowd and said ah. <laughs> oh my god i'm out careful women <laughs> i want to get i want to weigh in on if i'm freaked out or not okay what are you kimberly are you freaked out i'm, I'm, I'm gonna guess yes I'm always freaked out, but, but I've got a couple things to say. One of the things that I'm hopeful about, and I'm not saying I, I'm, this is not a prediction and this is not something that I'm like, oh my God, I know it's going to happen, but I'm hopeful that we're going to be able to pass the Voting Rights Act. And I think that, you know, talking about what Sherry said, I, if Trump or anybody in that orb is not uh, indicted, I think that's very, 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 very bad. But I think if we're able to pass the Voting Rights Act and change up the gerrymandering and, and make some key adjustments, I think Democrats have a much better shot at winning in 2022. And I don't know, like, for instance, I don't know if we're going to see any indictment, like important indictments in 2022. But if we can pass the Voting Rights Act, if they're going to be those indictments that take longer, I would be OK with that. And I'm not saying it's going to happen either way. I honestly don't know. Um, but I think that that would be a huge step in raising my confidence level in saving our democracy. But the one thing I do want to say about this is obviously Liz Cheney hates Donald Trump and wants to see him held accountable. And I know there are going to be those criminal referrals. And I'll really be interested to see what happens with Merrick Garland getting those criminal referrals. I'm not gonna make a prediction either way of how you know he'll choose to behave or what he'll do. But that gives me a little bit of hope. Beyond that, yes, I'm completely freaked out. <laughs> well, Glenn Kirshner and Lawrence Tribe and you know Adam Schiff, they're all pretty um they've been not they've been much where I am and they're you know they've been their language has become much more uh, strong in, uh, in terms of being freaked out. Uh, just yeah. as we are. Um, and, and I mean, it, it's to the point where those who 
aren't uh, not freaked out, but but I, I don't understand. And this is to, kind of to Greg's point earlier. I don't understand how there can be people so passionately defending Garland when you know as each week goes on, it's like okay, I'll give you that on the January sixth stuff because that's huge. But there's too much other stuff out there, and I and I do listen to the legal eagles uh, who are saying sober. Uh, legal minds with no agenda, and that would be Lawrence Tribe and Glenn Kushner and some of the others. So um, I don't know what we do. We just get over it, I guess, like we did with Mueller, and uh, that's what they want us to do, and that will depress the vote in 2022 and 2024, whether people like it or not. It shouldn't, but this is, you know, this is what I've done for the past 35, 40 years. This is some political strategist, and I taught this stuff at a master's level, and I've done party strategy and sat around, you know, for Republicans and sat around the conference table in the Roosevelt Room when Bush was president, Bush too. And, you know, I've run campaigns and was doing it at a time when women weren't doing it. And this will uh, depress the vote because uh, there is a significant um, part of the Biden and Democratic coalition who are people like me. Uh, there are people who want Trump and his criminal allies held accountable. And if they're not, they're going to just give up and mm -hmm. it will be very hard. You can bully them. You can guilt them and it won't work. That does, you know, people want results. They voted for, for this. They voted for uh, accountability. And if they don't get it, they're disappointed and they're not going to vote. I mean, it's hard to get people to vote in midterms anyway. So there's a real danger here. I'm going to, Tom, I'm going to bring you in in a second, but, uh, just, just to that point, we're, Kimberly, you were talking about Liz Cheney. I, I did not have. Oh my God, I love Liz Cheney on my bingo card. Oh, I, have to say. I know. The, the, the now, I, Sherry, I want to, I want to get your, your opinion of this as you're, you're the political strategist here. I feel like Liz Cheney is putting all, is gambling all of her chips on, the Republican Party needs to be not fascist overthrow idiots, and I'm going to be the face of that. Because she's yeah. basically pushing everything to the brink and expecting, I think. This is her last hurrah. And expecting that either the Republican Party of Trump is going to blow up and everyone is going to follow her banner or she's done. I mean, there's no there's no middle ground. There, she right? she what, has what nowhere think? else to go. And so she's doing the right thing. Uh, she's also, I mean, look at her her parents. Um, she's She knows how to look at history and and how his how she will be viewed with history she knows that she's not going to go back and run for i mean this is you know that that part of her political life is over so she understands the ebb and flow of this and she understands her role her pivotal role uh and she is doing the right thing um and there are people throughout history who have done that larry hogan senior the father of the maryland governor um and i know larry governor larry um you know used to know him quite well when we were both young, younger uh, in doing Maryland politics, but his father, uh, it was in Congress and he was the first Republican to call for the impeachment of Richard Nixon during, during Watergate. So there are people who understand uh, doing the right thing, even if you just want your place in history, but Liz Cheney, I mean, what else is she gonna do? It's not like the, the other side, they're gonna embrace her again if she goes back to Trump. Right. So I think she's doubling down because why the hell not? You know? I think she's going to run. For, I think she's going to run in twenty and twenty four. I mean, I think that's a that's a Your mortal. Oh yeah, that, you don't think so? I think you know, go for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't see her winning, but I, I like. I don't see her winning the nomination, but I think. I think it's totally possible because obviously you need a gigantic ego to run for president, and I think she has one. So. <laughs> 
Excellent. Okay, Tom, can you hear us? Yes, can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay, so uh, I had a I tried an exterior mic, but it didn't work. Okay, uh, so so you're on with uh, Sherry Jacobus, Kimberly Johnson. Um, hi, Sherry. Hi, Kimberly. Hi. Okay, so we've been talking about uh, their uh, what what their underreported stories are uh, for the year just ending. Um, and uh, I had on the first part of the podcast, I had on uh, Lincoln's Bible, Stephanie LB, and I had on Lou New, and they they offered theirs. And so far, everybody's has been different. So I'm curious, Tom, what yours is going to be, and if it's also going to be different. What's what do you think is an underreported story for the year just ending? Well, I, I'm so intrigued by what Sherry was just talking about, and I totally agree. Just but just to move to the <laughs> underreported story, I think the um, the violation of laws around espionage and counterintelligence with Kushner and Trump. Oh, things yeah. like Jamal Khashoggi's killing, mm -hmm. things like uh, the blockade of Qatar or Qatar, depending on how you pronounce it. I mean, this, this stuff was outrageous. The things like 12 dead Russians. How much stuff did Trump give away at, at Helsinki? How much information did Kushner give away uh, when he was mining information, as the New York Times reported. We haven't really heard that much about it, but I think there, that there's a real violation there. And it, hopefully we'll learn about it, but maybe it's the kind of thing that they don't, they don't like to disclose very much. That's a, that's a good one. I, I feel one. like Kushner, I want Kushner to get, to get what's coming to him almost more than I want Trump. I, I feel like he's so dangerous and he's got, he's, he sees himself as one of these like, Epsteiny, uh, Robert Maxwell type people, where he's just gonna, you know, fill in the gaps between the the, the corporations and the, and the intelligence agencies and the and the governments and stuff. And I just just the things that he's done to the United States are so horrible. Yeah, I wrote a piece in 2018 about all the crimes he committed, and he nobody did anything, and he just kept on committing more of them. Um, and now he's got the, the you know, 750,000 deaths on his hands. It's really something. Yeah, and it's not being covered. No. And like so many things, it's not covered or it's not covered the right way. Yeah. We just move on and we don't really know why Saudi Arabia did a blockade on Qatar when we have troops there <laughs> because Kushner was blackmailing them. To get money. Because it's not being reported in those words, in, 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 in that type of language where people can understand it and care about it after hearing 15 seconds of, of this. Mm -hmm. I mean, you just explained it, but most people aren't going to sit and read an extensive uh, piece on it to mm -hmm. understand the important points. It's really ridiculous. And, and the, the thing that if it's true that Kushner did that, if, if Kushner went... Uh, to the Qataris and said, okay, you're being blockaded. Uh, I can make that go away, but I've got this building in New York that has a mortgage that needs to be, you know, uh, reconjiggered. Maybe you can help you help me and I can help you, you know, uh, one hand washes the other. If Kushner did that and the circumstantial evidence sort of suggests maybe something was uh, awry there, that's really, really bad. That that's trading U.S. foreign policy for personal gain. I, mean, I, 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 that's isn't that espionage? Isn't that what espionage is? I don't, I don't know. Um, I, I think so. Yeah. And it's it, the interesting thing about people like Trump and Kushner is they don't even make that calculation at all. Like, hey, this is really a big 
crime. <laughs> it never even occurs to them yeah. at, at all. Well, they don't care. I mean, he and, and Kushner is so protective. I mean, I, I think that's Sherry. It goes back to what you were saying about why are why aren't people you know facing consequences for these things? Obviously, they're being protected in some ways by certain people, and Kushner has a lot of uh, he has a lot of people looking out for him clearly because none of this has come out. There haven't been any stories about him really at all. He's, he's since the last time you heard about him, other than now he's launched this affinity partners thing where he's taking money from his friends in the Middle East. There was that weird card that he sent with him and Ivanka and the kids all dressed in teal. Yeah. That was a long time ago. You know, he's been sort of off the radar um, in a lot of ways, but he's a guy, he's his family friends with, with Netanyahu. You know, he's, well, he's very got welcome. friends in the media too. Yes. Um, I mean, you see the, the pictures of, of him uh, vacationing with uh, Jeff Zucker and his now ex-wife. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's a reason these people are in the media as well. I mean, CNN ratings suck. Jeff Zucker has run CNN into the ground, but he's still there. Uh, so everybody has, if you have the right combination of powerful people in your corner protecting you, um, you can really suck at your job. But as long as they're all taking care of each other, you know. It was that, oh, the, I just remember this. The other thing about Kushner is he became, there was something with, with Pecker, that guy Pecker, where he mm -hmm. was the point man for all of that um, National Enquirer stuff. Right. So yeah. he had his hands on it. God knows what the hell is in that treasure trove of, of, of compromise, basically. I mean, you know, the National Enquirer, we laugh about it because it's the silly magazine, but it's also a compromise factory, right? Yep. I mean, that's what, what it is. Definitely. Yeah, they do the catch and kill. You just wonder how much uh, how much of the catch and kill they've been involved in. Uh, they'll buy a story, kill it, bury it for Trump and others. Yeah, yeah. But somebody has to have the will to prosecute people who do this kind of stuff mm -hmm. instead of just moving on. Yeah. And I think like myself and a lot of people are just incredibly disappointed that nearly a year later, after the insurrection coup, whatever you want to call it, nothing's happened on that. And so many other things that seemed like they were on a tee to be lined up and prosecuted. And I look at, uh, you know, I look at what happened on January 6th as more analogous to the 1993 World Trade Center bombing and that led to 9-11 oh. than I do Watergate. I mean, there's Very parallels to both. Yeah. That's kind but of I, I really think that you know, we're, there's, there's a certain level of prosecution. There's a certain level that prosecutors, that prosecuting can take care of. But then, you know, at some point you, you got to say, we can't prosecute this anymore. We have to go on the offense and stop it. If, if, if the coup attempt had been 10 times larger and Flynn and Bannon had 40,000 troops. Do we still prosecute? I mean, at what point does it get so big? Yeah. And that you say it's not, it, it's not something that the DOJ can handle. So at a minimum, I want Merrick Garland to say, hey, we've got this. There's zero chance of any follow-up. Don't worry about that. And we're going to take our time and prosecute. But we hear nothing. Yeah. We, we, hear, we hear nothing. So we, and I think most people don't think it's a 0% chance. Like us, we probably think there's a higher than 0% chance that we could have an overthrow. 
Maybe it's 5%, 10%, 20%. Yeah. Uh, and they, whenever you let the bad guys go on this stuff, you think, well, I mean, I, I brought this up before, the fact that uh, Roger Stone and Michael Caputo both lied under oath to Congress about their contact meeting and meetings with a Russian national. Caputo was working for the Trump campaign at the time, uh, and the Russian national, who went by Henry Greenberg, uh, had wanted $2 million for his alleged dirt on Hillary. Uh, Stone and Caputo both lied under oath to oh. Congress. Mueller caught them, and Congress allowed them to amend their testimony. Now, one member in a committee, I won't say who it was, told me personally that some of them wanted to refer them both to DOJ for indictment, even though they knew that Jeff Sessions would let them off the hook. But you got to do your job as Congress. And then people just like, nah, you know, kind of like when Nancy Pelosi said, oh, Trump isn't worth it. We're not going to impeach him over the Mueller report. When you, But look, if Roger Stone had been nabbed during during Watergate, we might not have had all of this with Trump, or maybe it would have been somebody Great else. Point. But there mm -hmm. is, we pay a price as a country for not getting rid of the bad guys, not scooping them up when we can. The rest of us, my God, we'd be we'd be in prison for for decades doing this stuff. It really is that it could, you know. Kushner is another example. Like he he lied how many times on his SF eighty six? Yeah, that's that's what five, is it five years or ten years in prison for, for a lie? I can't remember. Ted Lieu tweeted about it every day for a year. Nobody did anything. Why can't we convict him now for that? I don't understand. Like it, it's like we were waiting for some new crime. You know, like once Don it, once Jr. was referred for uh, criminal prosecution by the Senate Intel Committee just recently. You know, 2019, I think, or 20, nothing's happened with that. You know, why does, if you or I or any of us lied to Congress, we'd be in big trouble. And yes. that referral would mean something. Well, the you media know, ignores it too. They're the ones that control what we see. It's mostly uh, broadcast media, which gets their information from print media. And then print doesn't want to be not there. We don't want their reporters knocked off uh, the segments. So they, they kind of still take orders from the, the mm -hmm. ex TV executives. I mean, that's how this game works. Uh, trust me. Uh, and, you know, the, they're putting on people as uh, political commentators and experts who aren't uh, banning a lot of people who know stuff like me. Uh, you know, Jeff Zucker does that. And so the information that people who want to know what's going on, the information they're getting is from people who aren't political experts, uh, but who, you know, give the lightweight stuff. But, you know, Tom, to your point, if, if people, if the media were talking about this every night and every day, we might have a different outcome, but they're not. They're just Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I want to just bring up, for those of you who have seen the movie, Don't Look Up. I mean, this is the trajectory oh, yeah. one. Um, you know, this is kind of like the, the, the second act to Idiocracy, which, by the way, I've never seen, but I, I, I understand what it's about. But Don't Look Up, it's so interesting for those of you who don't know, it's, it's like a black comedy parody and there's a comet heading toward the earth. And the whole idea on this thing is that they're, you know, the scientists are saying, look up, look up in the sky, you're gonna see the comet. And there's this whole movement, don't look up, which reminds me of Donald Trump saying, don't get, let's not do testing. Because the more testing we do, the more we find out there's, you know, all these COVID cases and it doesn't look good on us. And so we're this country, it's not even just the country, but we're this world of to, to all of your points, what you've been saying, we smoke cigarettes knowing that cigarettes cause cancer. And I was a cigarette smoker, so I know what I'm talking about. And you smoke and you smoke and you smoke. And then one day 
you start coughing and you're like, I don't feel good. And you go to the doctor, the doctor's like, you have cancer. Oh, maybe I should stop smoking. We always take it too late. We're, we are a people that does not want to face anything. So we sweep shit under the rug. We hope it's going to go away. Cancer doesn't go away. Mobster criminals don't go away. When they learn they can get away with stuff, they just go farther. And it's yep. just a sad, sad truth. Do you think there's anything that can puncture through this, this sort of, um, what's the word, this stasis in the way that things are? Like we were talking about the first part of the podcast, we were talking about Fox News and what it would take to change the, the, the way that they report things. And the answer is nothing, because if a fucking pandemic doesn't do it, then nothing ever will. But what about this? What about the, 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 um, uh, the justice system, right? Like Assange, if Assange comes to the United States and shit comes out in that trial, is that enough to knock down the whole Jenga pile of Trump idiots or no? No, no, absolutely not with him because he's already a divisive character. I don't know what it would take. I have no idea what it would take. And part of the reason is, you know, I mean, I, I hear these arguments that maybe Merrick Garland doesn't want to indict Donald Trump or people at the top because he's afraid that there might be a civil war. And I've heard the civil, the, you know, a modern civil war obviously is not going to be like the 1800s. It would be chaos and violence and just, uh, you know, everybody not knowing what the hell is going on. I could see that happening regardless of whatever happens to Trump. That is certainly not a reason to not indict and, and prosecute Trump. But is that a possibility? I, I think it's I think it's a possibility I, because I look at how the Democratic Party behaved in 2016 when they knew that Russians were hacking and sending out disinformation and they didn't say anything because I think they were afraid to appear too partisan. So um, I don't know, I just, I just threw, I just had to throw that out there. <laughs> I think some of it is ki the, the kicking the can down the road, which is kind of yeah. what you're yeah. describing. Yeah. But I do, I think that the one thing that would change the dynamic, we're not gonna get rid of Trump is, but we can shrink it. You've heard me yeah. say this a million times, close elections are won or lost in the margins. So you mm -hmm. have to go after the people who, uh, you know, Trump was very great, said, don't watch any other network. They lied to you, only watch Fox. Uh, that, was a, that was a real turning point because the same people, start saying, oh, MSNBC, or what do they call it? And, 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 and saying, don't watch MSNBC. People who've never watched MSNBC are saying, don't watch MSNBC because, oh, they'll lie to you. And Trump was, that was a very dangerous time uh, because it worked with some people. But one thing that, so there are people who are, don't access correct information. They're not part of the cult. They're not on Twitter. They're older. They voted for Trump. They vote Republican. They may live in uh, you know, red areas or rural areas. Um, and so they might be on Facebook. So they simply don't know the truth. They aren't hearing the stuff that we know when you say, how can people still support Trump or vote Republican after X, Y, and Z? Well, they aren't hearing X, Y, or Z. The media they consume is not reporting it. So you have to reach them another way, which is what we did, as you guys know, with America Reads the Mueller report. We went over the heads of Fox News and we bought a half hour time slots and local TV to reach these people in really small slivers. People say, well, you can never change the mind of Trump people. You don't have to change. You just need the sliver of the people who are not part of the cult, who once they're are indictments, which they will know about the indictments. Yes, Once yes. they start hearing about this stuff that they've never heard before, there will be there has to be just enough of them to make that difference in a close election where they they either say, you know, this is wrong, I'm not going to vote Republican, or I'm not going to support Trump or Trumpism, or 
I'm just so tired, all of them, I'm going to stay home. And that's probably the more realistic thing. Uh, and that's, <laughs> I hate to say it, but it might be what you want. But you can't say that they are all part of a cult. They're not. You're not going to change them in large numbers. But again, close elections are won or lost in the margins. Go after those people. Stop preaching to the choir and putting money into that, thinking, I mean, that might get some people their segments on MSNBC. They might make a lot of money or do whatever they're, you know, they're doing for themselves. But it does nothing to get us to where we need to be. You only need a sliver, and all of our efforts should be focused on that. I think with indictments, with indictments, and when the information comes out, because it has to, if Fox will have to cover it, you'll get enough people. Just And all we need is just a sliver. I agree with that. I think indictments are the key. A multi-count indictment that spells it out so people say, hey, Trump is a common criminal. He did all these tax crimes. He did these money laundering crimes. We mm -hmm. we have the, these fringe benefit crimes. There's just a, you know, Deutsche Bank, you know, we're just hearing about that. And to Sherry's point, I think another thing that's really good on the propaganda front, and this is part of my joy for 2021 when you asked us for this call to do, I, I wrote this down, is the daily performance of Jen Psaki. And if you watch her, she's super smart, quick on her feet, totally on top of every issue. Um, could probably be running in a cabinet position with ease. And she, I think every day, gives that little dose of anti-propaganda. Maybe the whole audience doesn't get it, but people in the middle, the independents, see that and see that common sense. And more than anything, they're seeing compassion, which we have not had in so long. There's actually a, a real compassion coming from this White House in addition to clarity competency. on the crimes. And competency too. Yes, yeah. yes. The media doesn't like competency. They, they, no. they, you know, it's boring for them. They would rather uh, report on, you know, trouble, Dems in disarray and all, and all this mm -hmm. kind of stuff. But They but like the chaos. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, I think, I think they are trying to get the word out, but some of it is on the, the fucking media is not, you know, they're not uh, telling the stories that need to be told. It's really frustrating, um, you know, because we have to know what kind of headphones Kamala Harris wears. That's important. Right, exactly. Top, yeah. top she doesn't want Bluetooth because it's not secure. And oh my God, how horrible is she for that? Yeah. It's ridiculous. You know, like, come on, just because you're the vice president and you, you're going to be worried about security now. Oh, wait. Yeah. No, actually, that's good. That's a smart thing. You know, like yeah. the, even the logic breaks down. <laughs> make, none of it makes none of it makes any sense. Yeah, they um, said that she, uh, Bluetooth phobic. <laughs> so, so, oh my God! Sometimes things happen. I LB and I have a running joke about how we're in the simulation. Like this is all a simulation, and sometimes <laughs> you know things will happen. And like L, LB's like reality winner. That can't be a real name. That's a clue that we're in the simulation. <laughs> and um, you know sometimes these things where the the media is talking about that. And then this week, the, the, this guy, his, the, the guy who did the prank phone call to Biden, his name is Jared Schmeck. And uh, that, that can't be, that can't be. I know, it's like just so close to schmuck. <laughs> well, what I found out is that in, in the Yiddish, which I did not realize, is that you know, schmuck in, in Yiddish means the male anatomy, but schmeckle 
means a smaller male anatomy. So it's, it's <laughs> perfect, right? It's it's. <laughs> Like you you know, I didn't know shit. that. I did a tweet that kind of uh, referred to that translation. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I think you know we're breaking through the simulation, and I don't know. Uh, I it, <laughs> it's like the end of Lord of the Flies. Just we need we need the grownups to come to the island and rescue us all. I don't know. Um, so let's do because um, I know we're, we're we're pushing up on on time. So I. I do want to hear everybody's prediction for uh, for next year. Just one one thing you think might happen, good or bad, or, or important or not, uh, for for next year. So, uh, Kimberly, why don't you go first? Okay. Well, this is literally a guess. I'm guessing. That's fine. I'm going to go with Trump being indicted for something. Mm. I'm not saying that I know this is going to happen. I'm just like, and I'm not even saying I'm hopeful, but I think there is a shot that that's going to happen. I recognize that it. It's not likely, but I'm still just going to go with it. That's funny because my prediction is the opposite. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> my prediction is we will have all the evidence. The January 6th committee is going to have everything they need, and there's going to be enough stalling, enough people who are going to hold back. Uh, and I and I just don't see. I think if Merrick Garland was was even remotely interested in in getting near any of that, we would have some hint by now. Um, I I I hate to say this, but I think um, Trump is going to skate. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I I I, I it's a, it, it's a co it's a coin flip either way. I mean, Garland is he looks like to me he looks like because uh, I see him in his in his in his. Uh, circuit court robe you know my image of him is always he's wearing this robe so he looks to me like one of the lesser teachers at hogwarts not the dark <laughs> arts guy that's the bad guy and not dumbledore but one of the other guys that's just in the background teaching some you know maybe some elective that and i don't i don't i don't trust that guy to lead us against the Voldemorts. i just don't trust it, it it's not going to work for me so uh all right so kimberly you say trump's going to get indicted sherry you say nope Tom, what's yours? It doesn't have anything to do with it at all. But, well, first of all, what do you think? Do you think he's going to get indicted or not next year? I think he will be indicted by New York. Okay. Yeah, New York. I would guess that. Okay. Okay. You're on record now. So, but what's yours? Mine is that I think we're going to learn that Trump absolutely knew there was going to be violence. Mm -hmm. and he was digging it, and that's certainly why he didn't react, because he knew it was actually going to be happening. And um, there's there was even a piece today in The Guardian that talked about how his phone calls the night before January 6th were separated for with calls to attorneys and calls to other people. So, you know, right there, the you can see the pieces being put together. There's no way in hell... He would had he wasn't aware of that level of violence taking place. I'm I'm absolutely I I feel it in my bones. And the fact that he just kind of stared at the TV screen, not shocked, because he, yeah. they were doing what he wanted them to do. Yeah, and that was a Hugo Lowell piece that you're talking about um, in the Guardian. Yeah, he's doing and, great. And he and I have yeah. been back and forth about this today because I've been quote tweeting it, and um, you know he's done some superb reporting on, on this, and he's you know had to sit on some of this stuff for a few weeks as he's building it but uh you know he's really really excited that this is now finally out there because this could be this could be it this could be this could be something very significant 
I mean, if you work backwards, it's like the Secret Service, I, you just, and I've said this before, I forget where, but okay, on 9-11, George W. Bush is in Air Force One and the Secret Service makes him stay in the air like way high in the sky for like most of the day because they don't know any, they're afraid, there's safety and blah, blah. This is for a, an attack that came led by people halfway around the world in a cave. Now we have Trump is in Washington right down the street from the stuff that's happening, all of these people storming, besieging our capital, the Secret Service is like, nah, you're good. You're fine. Yeah. And the pipe bombs, they found the pipe bombs yes. pretty early. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, after after she planted them, Marjorie Taylor Greene told them where to find them, right? <laughs> if, by the way, I don't, I, I'm joking, of course, but if if it turns out that Marjorie Taylor Greene planted the pipe bombs, I'm done. I. The simulation is going to explode and we're all just going to be in a dark room looking at Keanu Reeves. And that's going to be the end of the movie. Don't look up. <laughs> we laugh, but you know. I know. I know. Stranger things have happened. I know. I know. And uh, was, did I you wouldn't think about the shoe? I can't remember. Sherry, was that you that was pointing out the footwear yeah. choice that she had? Same shoe. Oh, I, I think I saw people com comparing some of the yes. things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah, that it just you know why did the Secret Service not move him? Because he wasn't in any fucking danger. There's right. no. They knew. They were like, yeah, he's he's good. And um, well, that's another thing that we have we have to think about too is that fifty percent of the people in the Secret Service may have voted for Trump, and fifty percent of the people in the DOJ hmm. may have voted for Trump. Right. And another eerie thing that's happening is that Merrick Garland has not cleaned house of the stench of William Barr. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't I don't think he ever will. Um you know maybe he's going to maybe a few things will uh, happen or maybe by attrition, but you're not hearing that much so far. And I wouldn't put that, that even on a uh, a prediction list that we're going to hear about imp improprieties from within the DOJ. It's just such a black box it seems like. Yeah, no, that's a good point. The, the, the first thing he should have done was fire all anyone even remotely loyal to Trump. You know, that is Ezra Watnick Cohen is still around, I think. Kosh Patel, these guys that DeJoy, I didn't we replace the 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 guy on the yeah. board so we could do it? Why is this, yeah. you know, uh th this guy who made his fortune running logistics in New York City, um, who looks like he stepped out of central casting in a mob movie is running the post office to the ground. Why can't we get rid of this guy? Why can't yeah, he we're normalizing there? this stuff by keeping them around? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Right. Which may be the point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, mine, just because you guys didn't know what mine was. My prediction is that we're going to find out my, my story uh, that I think is underreported is, is the COVID stuff. I, I feel like the fact that so many people have died, because of these things that 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 Trump and Kushner did, choices they deliberately made, um, killed more Americans than died in the Civil War. I feel like that should have been a much bigger story than it was. I don't know if people were just afraid to finger him or cast blame where it should go or, or what. But um, my prediction this year is that we're going to have stories about the money that, you know, there, there was the PPE loans um, right. and got Kushner and Trump no way did not try to pocket off of that. There's no reality in which that was authorized and they weren't trying to, to um, find an angle to maximize their own profit and exploit it. And I feel like that's going to come out this year. And my hope is that 
Um, one thing people don't like is to be ripped off and have their money stolen. I think even even the Trump voter doesn't like to be made a fool of. And maybe that would do it. I don't know. I, I'm at a loss at this point about it, what it depends how widely it's reported and if the people who yeah. need to get that information actually get it and it's presented to them in a way that they can understand and care about. Yeah. But I think it maybe it's all tied into the same thing. Maybe a Trump indictment in New York for being a common crook combined with people getting fired, combined with the, this thing coming out. And then, I, you know, maybe the media is going to have to face the music a little bit. Is Fox News is Fox News being sued by Dominion or is it only the other one that's being sued by Dominion? They're being sued by Dominion, right? Yeah. I, think being yeah. Yes. I mean, maybe that shakes out where some of these fuckers have to leave. Maybe Hannity and Tucker have to go bye-bye. And, and Well, Ingram. yeah, they get gawkered, you know. Of course, yeah. I think that they've got a bottomless pit of money, so I don't know if the amount they're being sued for, should they get it, is, is going to be it's got that big of an effect. <laughs> it's like on succession, you know. We, we pay it, we, it, it, it's, it's a check, and that's all. Yeah, it's a check. Well, on that note, what does everybody think happens when Murdoch kicks? Does it just continue or is there some, is there an improvement or is the sun just as bad? First of all, is he going to kick by having someone stake his heart with a wood or is he going to <laughs> go into the direct Jerry Hall. I'm pulling for her. I hope she's really a patriot. <laughs> I mean, why else would you go from Mick Jagger to Rupert Murdoch? <laughs> that does seem like a terrible downgrade. <laughs> money, money, money. <laughs> <laughs> he's become her character in batman that's really what it is I mean, it's, yeah anyway yes good good question tom kimberly what do you think with murdoch oh, question again i just lost my i lost the what question. happens when rupert murdoch dies oh, duh, duh. okay i think that i there are two sons correct yes or is there yes one the bad in the bad bitch. Yeah. right so because of the bad one i think it's just going to keep going i don't think i think that Fox will continue to be a threat to democracy under any circumstance. Sherry, what about you? I think I have to agree with Kimberly on that. Somebody else will always step in. They're always grooming somebody in the wings. Uh, look at the very legitimate, uh, uh, respected conservatives who have uh, bailed from Fox News and long before um, the most recent two did. They just replaced them with failed comedians and you know high school college dropouts and people who were just really bad guys. And the audience doesn't know the difference. They make a smooth transition from a Bill Crystal, George Will, you know, Krauthammer died, and they think that Greg Gutfeld or you know Ben Dominic, or, you yeah. know, oh my god, are just are just the same. <laughs> I mean, it's it's, it's scary. Well, I mean, if you're going to get a job there, you know, you just go to the explore talent profile and then they hire you. That's, exactly. you, know, you know, that's kind of, <laughs> um, I think we're talking about people that are being protected. I mean, Rupert Murdoch is clearly somebody who's being protected by, yeah. you know, God knows how many governments and I, you know, I, I don't know what he is, but it's what not just What was that meeting with him and Mitch McConnell yeah, a couple of years ago in the Capitol? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Remember that? Bill Barr going to his house. Right. Paul, Paul Ryan's on the board. Yeah. Jason Chaffetz went right from, you know, it, yeah. It's a revolving door. If you look at a list of Fox News contributors, it's like most of those people, a significant percentage of them are, you know, just, just bad guys. I mean, just not, not just people I don't like, but people that are possibly mixed up in the stuff that went on in the last four years. Well, this right. is, you know, my own personal um, story here is in 2015, I was, uh, living in New York, and I was doing a lot of Fox. I was there several days a week as I was doing MSNBC, uh, CNN at the time. 
and um, had been doing Fox for years uh, and, uh, you know, on a couple thousand times. So I noticed something was different. Um, and at that point, you know, the Trump people had um, wanted me to come work for them. And then I, you know, witnessed Lewandowski. I said, thanks, but no thanks. I only took the meeting as a courtesy to a friend and he brought along Lewandowski who I'd never met or heard of, but they were having a hard time getting good people to meet with them. So they admitted it was a bit of an ambush. Uh, and then, you know, but I had also been approached by one of the other campaigns. That's what happens. <laughs> and um, I'd be at Fox and it, each time I would go there, it was as if somebody like another Stepford wife had come had happened. And this was huh. in the primary, you know, you knew in the general election, they go with the Republican, but I had never in all my years in politics and media and in DC, I'd never seen anything like this. We're in a primary. Uh, they started latching on to the, it was Eric Bowling. People said, oh, well, he's, he's friends with, uh, you know, Ivanka or something like so, you know, and I was seeing these people one by one, you know, first they were right where I was, you know, we're kind of laughing at this buffoon Trump, you know, what's the latest crazy thing he said or did, um, still never dreaming he could win the primary, let alone the White House. And each time I would go there, somebody else had turned, had flipped. And it was really odd because that just didn't happen before. And there'd be yeah. no real, well, I think there's a lot of smart things he's saying. So I, my, I think they were being bought off, threatened, promised things, um, you know, but something really weird and eerie was happening and I knew it. And, you know, each time I'd leave the, the building, I'd go out there on, on Sixth Avenue and I'd call my folks, you know, like I would go on the air and call them and I'm like, there's something weird going on here. And this was so early on, uh, but I knew then, you know, I knew then something was really off. Yeah. Well, Shara, you knew, um, you probably knew when Paul Manafort was named campaign chairman. Yeah. <laughs> something really big was wrong yeah i kind of actually knew before that because i had <laughs> things that happened to me and um yeah when i was told by arthur schwartz of all people who at that time you know knew uh had known roger stone for years and dealt with him and of course now arthur has been personal advisor to all kinds of trumpers but he's very anti-trump then uh, then he was pro-Trump, then anti-Trump, then he went back to being pro-Trump. But I remember the night, it was when we realized that the Trump people knew that I'd figured out that they were the ones catfishing me, pretending to be you know, a lawyer representing big Republican donors and wanted to make sure Trump didn't win. Uh, and that the catfishing had began the day that I publicly had uh, said that Trump and Lewandowski, in fact, did have a super PAC. They were lying to the Washington Post when they said they didn't because Lewandowski told me all about it. You know, I mean, the guy, my friend who first approached me um, was going to work for the super PAC. And uh, so that was the day the catfishing started with the FBI. We would look back at all the records like, yep, that was the day we found that out later. Uh, so that night, it was late at night, 1130 at night. I'm in a, you know, and Arthur Schwartz said, do you have, are you in a, a doorman building? I said, no, I'm in a brownstone. Upper West Side. He goes, we need to get a, a squad car in front of your house because Trump's got guys in Queens and they might be on their way over to cause you harm. This was in February of 2016. I'd been in politics many, many years, decades, and I'd never, ever experienced anything like this. So I knew then that there is something very different about this crowd. You know, I didn't leave my apartment for four or five days. Wow. You know, I just, I want to add what I was saying um, not to take away from anything Sherry just said, because that's chilling. But I think another reason why Fox is going to continue down the road they're on is because now they have Newsmax and OAN that they're competing against. Yeah. And it seems like it, it, when Fox was the only game in town, there might be some kind of a shot where they could go one way or the other. 
But now that they've got these other two networks that are just, you know, unbelievably far right, I it's think they're, right. I think they're going to stay there. It's pronounced new smacks. That's it's, it's the, the break is between the W and the S new smacks, not Newsmax. <laughs> new smacks. New smacks. That's my little joke. Just, you know, we have to, we have to amuse ourselves in this, mm-hmm. in this, um, Sherry, I've heard you tell that story before, but every time I hear it and think about it, it's really, it's just horrible. I mean, it's like something from a, a movie, you know, and yeah. this is a guy who has been involved with organized crime since he was in diapers. I mean, mm-hmm. the first time around, not the second time. Um, well, then when, they, when they had me hacked, remember, uh, and then a- a- after a time, then it be, I had, there's three data points showing that Trump people had access to information from my hacked email and they were using it. Yeah. Um, and the FBI knew it. And um, I believe in what I was told by other lawyers for IC whistleblowers was that uh, uh, Jeff Sessions had uh, Southern District of New York, um, Jeffrey Berman, shut down any uh, a lot of you know, investigations when they got too close to Trump. Now that's chilling. And so yes. that's why Jeffrey Berman, I know we're getting off topic here, but when Barr went in to fire him and he wouldn't quit or that he wanted to quit mm. and he wouldn't quit. And so Congress wanted, you know, congressional committee wanted to talk to, to Berman. He said he carefully negotiated the terms. So it was behind closed doors and in a very narrow focus, just the stuff with Barr, because, you know, I was privately reaching out to members of Congress saying, ask him about the investigations that Jeff Sessions or anybody or Barr ever asked them to shut down. And they just won't go there. And I've had people tell me that that's just not, they're not going to do that, that there's no way Garland will go there. Hmm. He doesn't. He there's doesn't, a lot that's happened that we'll never know. He doesn't have the spine for it. He just doesn't. It's, it's too bad. You know, he should be on the Supreme Court. You know, that's if he was all, all of this ripple effects, all of these butterfly wings, you know, if if mm-hmm. if if McConnell hadn't tried that and if, and if Obama uh, who was president at the time had tried to do something to force a vote, which even at the time I, I was arguing that he should at least try something. Just say, oh, you have 90 days. If you don't confirm the guy, I'm ordering him to the Supreme Court. Let's take it up with the, you know, do something instead of just waiting around and let, letting McConnell win as he, you know. Yeah, and I was a Republican pundit on CNN. Yeah, you know, I would be on CNN at the time saying, yes, I think a president, I mean, it's like a year out, the president should be able to have his his nominee, you know, have a vote. And I was against McConnell on that, you know. Yeah. There's a reason why the right wing has never liked me. Okay, so uh, we've been on for a while. So we should, I, I, I could talk to you guys all day, but we should probably wind it down. <laughs> I know you have better things. I want to thank everybody for spending uh, the time with me. This was so much fun. Um, Let's talk a little bit about where people can find you. Kimberly, uh, Start Me Up podcast, which I've been on a bunch of times, really good. But where where are you? uh, Where where can we find you? Well, of course, on on the Twitter, I'm author Kimberly, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y. Don't forget that extra E. And Start Me Up is wherever podcasts can be found, but you can also find me on Patreon, at uh, patreon.com slash start me up. Okay, yeah, it's a great podcast. I love the start me up podcast. It's good. <laughs> um, Sherry, where can we find you? Well, these days, just on Twitter, Sherry Jacobus, uh, at Sherry Jacobus. I have, you can go to my website to find my old stuff, uh, sherryjacobus.com. Um, I have had a cancer battle over the past year. So my own podcast has been on hold for, for some time, uh, but you can, uh, it's, it was politics with Sherry Jacobus. So I hope to be back up, you know, 
podcasting and writing and doing some things uh, soon. But uh, I think this is one of my first times back and I've done Kimberly's podcast as well. It's nice yes. to see you, and and you know we're, we we can see you, but people listening can't. And I just want I, I'm going to report here. You look great, and um, we're all very very happy that you're that you're on the. Thank mix. you very much. Yeah, right. I, I like really to, yeah. I want to I want to thank uh, Kimberly if you don't mind very quickly, Kimberly, and Joe Walsh. Um, when I got my diagnosis, they didn't waste any time, and they put together a GoFundMe to help me because uh, th they knew that Trump had ruined my livelihood and that this obviously with cancer, I'm not married. So I didn't have a second income to rely on. And so because of Kimberly, <laughs> I think I'm going to cry here, but that I was able, I didn't have to worry about that. And I was able to, you know, get a place for six weeks of treatment at Johns Hopkins. And, and, um, and thank you, Kimberly, you and Joe for, for doing that and taking that worry from off of me and my family. Absolutely. And I'm, I just want to say thank you to everybody who donated. Yes, yeah. absolutely. It's, uh, uh, I can't tell you um, how much it meant. Yeah. It's just, it, we it was- love, We love you. We do, <laughs> we do, it's true, it's true. Uh, uh, essential, essential follow on the Twitter, absolutely essential. Like I said at the beginning, the percentage of shit you've gotten right is, <laughs> I don't think anybody's close to it. It's like, it, you know, they're, they're Jordan- I agree. It's like, it's like Secretariat winning the, the, the Belmont Stakes. <laughs> Let, I've been on that other grow. side and I know the players, but you <laughs> <Yeah>. know. <laughs> okay, Tom, where can we find you? On Twitter, Tom J Chicago. And then there's a Patreon link for podcast, uh, Patreon forward slash Thomas Joseph. Okay. Guys, again, thank you so much for joining me. This has been a lot of fun. Everybody listening, I say Happy New Year. May 2022 be better than 2021. If that's yes. I, that's setting a low bar, so you know I, I think know. it's okay. It's Yay! Okay. Happy <laughs> New Year, everybody! Right. Happy New Year! Have Thanks a great so much, New Year, guys. Thank you, Greg. I know. The Prevail theme song is by Matthew Fassa. Sofia Tarashenko provided the Russian introduction. Voice talent is provided by Tally Briggs, Signadella, Stephanie St. John, Brett Petticord, Ryan Byrne at History Falls Apart, and me. Thanks to Allison Gill, Molly Hawkey, Kanai Williams, and everyone else at MSW Media. Please subscribe to the Prevail website with updates every Tuesday, Friday, and Sunday. Your $5 monthly subscription funds the site and the podcast. Visit gregoliar.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. Drive safely. Don't forget to tip your server. Until next time, we shall prevail.